Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're not so astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The line. Live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona, in with you for today. PJ will be back again tomorrow. Um, and how was your bank holiday weekend? I know yesterday was a bit of a washout, but Sunday was just absolutely beautiful. And today's looking all right out there this morning. Um, I think I, there was rain supposed to be forecast, but um, it looks fairly clear here in the city anyway this morning. Let us know how you got on over the weekend. Um, did you have a nice weekend? Did you do anything exciting? Let us know. 0818 96 96 96. Coming up on the show, were you watching the Love Island final last night and were you happy with the result? We'll be talking about that shortly. And do you get hangry? We'll be looking at why some people are affected more than others. We'll also be speaking to a woman whose house was destroyed by fire over the weekend and another woman whose elderly mother was left waiting for days at a Cork hospital to get a hip operation. If you want to get involved in any of the conversations that we're having on the show this morning, the number to call us on is 0818 96 96 96 or you can text WhatsApp 083 396-9696 and we'd be happy to take your voice notes on anything as well. Now last week the fashion designer and stylist Sonia Lennon took to her LinkedIn to talk about a personal experience it was to do with her 17-year-old daughter who was being treated for acne and she had been prescribed Roaccutan. And part of the prescription is um, that a person has to ensure that they're not pregnant. So her 17-year-old daughter was required to go and get pregnancy tests. Sonia, why did you feel the need to take to LinkedIn to write about this? Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Thanks for having me on. Um 
Yeah, I suppose it was just an experience that we had together. Um, mm. My daughter has been um, buying pregnancy tests for the last eight months to uh, receive her monthly prescription for the drug. And we're doing that in close consultation with uh, the dermatologist. Mm. And she had said to me that um, on every occasion, she had kind of encountered some sort of nuanced behavior, generally from a customer, a bit of a side eye, a a comment, a sort of a smirk every time she bought a pregnancy test. And I suppose for her, from her point of view, it was because of her age, Mm. um, she felt. um, Although subsequently looking at some of the comments on the post, I'm not sure that it's age bound. Um, But in this instance, it was um, a member of staff who sort of head tilted and and smirked and sort of involuntarily laughed at another um, staff member mm. and she just I suppose it was quite humiliating she she's she's got great strength of character um but it, she came out and she said to me oh you know it was actually a member of staff this time and I I kind of felt that something needed to be done not in a sort of a, an angry yeah. mama bear way but really in terms of an awareness about behavior and judgment um that we all are guilty of every single day um so I spoke to the staff and asked them to make all their colleagues aware um not not to judge um mm. but I suppose what's been interesting about the the post is uh, a number of things a lot of people have reacted to to the drug treatment itself a lot of people have reacted to Evie's composure and a lot of people have really reacted very strongly to this sort of shaming and judgment yeah. That is pretty pervasive. And may I say, not just in Ireland, um, there, there it has kind of reached an international audience um, and and a lot of people commenting from the medical profession. Um, I suppose for me, it was just a sort of a, an awareness piece to say, before we judge anybody without knowing all the, the facts, maybe just take a breath and think. Sonia, when you went in and you spoke to the staff, what was their reaction? They were mortified, like really embarrassed. Um, were they very even aware that they had been smirking and acting like that? I, I, I think probably not at the time. Yeah. Possibly in retrospect, yes. But and look, this I I recently completed a master's in business equity, diversity, and inclusion. So I I have studied um, unconscious bias. I've stud, studied societal judgments. I. We're all guilty. Mm. So this is not about calling out particular individuals to say your behavior is bad. We all do it. Like I, anybody can go onto the Harvard site and take an implicit bias test to test their own biases against lots of different groupings in society. I tested biased against women in the workplace and I've spent the last you know, 30 years of my career trying to empower women to, to have more power in the workplace. So, th- and that's really because of sort of deep, deep uh, conditioning through our societal mores. So, you know, we we just have to check ourselves a little bit. Sonia, you um, are one of the founders of Lyft, which is leading Ireland's future together. And it's a programme being rolled out um, via a volunteer network. And it's about trying to um, raise awareness of inequality, better leadership and a more respectful society. Um, Like when you were one of the founders of Lyft, was, you know, what happened to your daughter? Obviously, you had no idea that this was the way people were reacting when young people were going in to buy pregnancy tests. But is it about that whole thing? of trying to raise awareness of the way we maybe react when we see somebody doing something or the way we perceive people to be? 
Yeah, I suppose Lyft is about um, helping individuals and 30,000 people have been through the Lyft process and growing. We're, we're in 230 plus secondary schools. We're working with corporates, uh, non-profits, community groups, sports organizations. So it's very democratic. Anybody can, can join a, a Lyft roundtable and the roundtable is really sort of a 40-minute period where it allows us space to reflect on our own leadership, you know, the values that inform our own leadership decisions, because this is all about a series of decisions that kind of roll out day by day. What are we deciding to do, say? How are we deciding to behave and engage with others? Um, and really the sort of fundamental values that, that we're um, exploring through Lyft are, you know, accountability, respect, listening, competence, um, really foundational bits um, that, I suppose, help us to understand how we, li- how we lead ourselves first before we even begin to lead anybody else, because all leadership, leadership starts with how you lead yourself. Were you surprised, Sonia, by the reaction that your post got on LinkedIn? Like there was over a quarter of a million views within 24 hours. I was. I didn't expect it, um, mm. to be honest with you. And I think, um, I, I, yeah, it definitely just, touched a nerve um, because I think this idea of shame is 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 really kind of tragic in our society like we shouldn't we shouldn't be shaming people because we don't know what the context is we don't mm. know what the circumstance is but you know a lot of women came on to say that you know even even later in their lives when they were buying pregnancy tests they were they were kind of embarrassed. Um, and, and it shouldn't be that way, because even if you were a teenager buying a pregnancy test to see if you were pregnant, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I mean, like it can be quite, you know, for a young person to be going in to buy a pregnancy test, obviously um, there are probably a whole lot of uh, emotions going on in their in their head at that time. And shame and judgment shouldn't be one of them. Well, the funny thing is, I think if you're buying a pregnancy test, you're in a heightened state of anxiety because you're either in a state of expectation and hope mm. or you're in a state of distress. Yeah. They're, they're kind of the two options. You either want to be pregnant or you don't want to be pregnant. Yeah. But I think it's bigger than pregnancy tests. I think anything to do with, you know, bodily function, sex, um, we, still as a society, we're struggling to be okay with that. You know, we're, mm. our, our, our journey towards maturity in that area, you know, is, is still quite young, I would say. So how do we change it? I think awareness is the first step to, to change. There's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, having, having worked and campaigned, um, you know, particularly for the last 10 years, uh, take, for example, the gender pay gap uh, campaign that we went on. At the beginning, nobody believed that the gender pay gap was a real thing. Mm. But I think once you be, you bring awareness to it, um, and with Work Equal last year, we we uh, did a nationally representative survey where 74% of the population believe that closing the gender pay gap should be a priority of businesses and government. And so to come in eight years from we don't believe you to this is really important. You can only do that through awareness. And so opening up that conversation around how how we judge people, the, 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 the challenge is that because our, our world is so fast paced, that we're making snap judgments and snap decisions because we don't have the time to reflect on how we behave. So it's really about kind of just taking a breath. How is your daughter now, Sonia? She's, you know, she's great. And, and she 
what, she didn't come out of the situation traumatized. Mm. You know, she wasn't, you know, she, she, she was disappointed, I suppose, more than anything else. Mm. Um, and so, you know, she, she, she has great self-possession um, and, and all through that eight month journey, she, she was okay going in to get the pregnancy test, even though she knew she was going to face something. Um, and, and I think, I think as a parent, it was really important for her to, to take control of that and not be shamed out of that. Mm. Um, and, and to own it. And of course I, I have her back. And if, if she was, you know, a young woman who was less confident, I'd have been standing right behind her. So it's about, again, it's about kind of looking at the context of the situation and what it requires. Yeah. Sonia, you mentioned there a while ago about the Harvard test. Can you just talk to me a little bit about mm. that, please? Yeah, so um, I, I, I think for about the last 25 years, a research department in Harvard have been running um, a program called the Implicit Bias Test. So anybody can go on to um, the Harvard, Harvard site if you search Implicit Bias, and you can take a series of tests um, which are actually really interesting because they're they're not, not testing for right or wrong answers. So you'll be given a series of questions about um, anything from who is most likely to uh, commit a crime and you'll be given a series of faces. Mm. And it's not about the right answer or the wrong answer. It's how long your brain takes to compute what might be the right answer. Yeah. So it's really cleverly set up. Um, so I've done, I've done about 12, 12, 13, 14 of the tests. Mm. Um, and, and they cover everything from uh, body image to gender, to race, to religion, um, lots and lots of different things. Um, but it's, again, that's part of an awareness exercise to understand where your own biases lie. Um, because we're they're not called unconscious for nothing. We don't even know they exist. Mm. Um, and, and quite often when we're making those judgments, it's because of our own perceptions, our own experience, what we bring to the table. So, in fact, <laughs> it's going to sound quite existential now, mm-hmm. but we're judging we're judging ourselves, not the other person, because we're judging through our lens. Um, and so, uh, you know, Anais Nin said, we, we see the world as, as we see it, not as it is. Um, so it's that kind of understanding that what you believe, what you see is only your perspective. It's not the perspective of others. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> Great start to a Tuesday. Sorry to drop that on your audience on a Tuesday after a bank holiday. <laughs> Fabulous. Listen, Sonia, I'm glad that your daughter is okay and that she is not, um, you know, she's she's not feeling um, down in any way after this incident. Well, and she's, in, she's in the Gale Talk in Connemara. Oh, she's having a great time, so. so I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> Sonia, thank you so much for joining me on the opinion line this morning that is stylist and fashion designer Sonia Lennon and co-founder of Lyft which is leading Ireland's future together what do you guys think are we as a society too judgmental have you been the victim of judgment and shame uh, by people if you were going in to buy a pregnancy test or anything else that you felt that you know you were being looked at in a way um, you can let us know here 0818 96 96 96 text or whatsapp 083 3 
96 96 96 and coming up after the break I'll be talking to a lady whose 81 year old mother had a fall this day last week went to hospital in Cork and was told that she had to have a hip operation and was waiting until Saturday to have the hip operation after three cancellations more on that coming up after the break we hear time and time again of people who have, um, you know, bad experiences in hospitals, and they always say that it's not the, it's not the um, the problem of, or it's not the fault of the staff or the nurses that they are doing Trojan work, but it's just that the system is failing people. And one of those people was Linda's mother, um, who was admitted to Cork Hospital on um, Tuesday of last week, and she's been telling me about that incident. Linda, just tell me, your mum had a fall last Tuesday night. What happened? She was coming in from uh, the back, uh, back garden. She was coming through the conservatory. And for some reason, we don't know, she tripped and down she went. Um, the ambulance service was called. They were, to be quite honest, they were quick. Um, they had confirmed that she had done something with her hip. Mm. So uh, she had gone in. You couldn't go with her, so she had to go on her own. Um, so she spent the night in A&E and she was the most of the day in A&E. Uh, she didn't go to the ward until I think it was three o'clock the following day, which to be honest is quite good. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the current climate of things there, that's quite good. So uh, she was in the ward and we were told she was going for surgery the following day. Now I had been up there and I was talking to one of the surgical guys who was really, really nice. And, uh, so I asked him, I said, uh, what time would you think? Oh, he couldn't give me a time. So I said, right. So she had been, bear in mind, she hadn't had anything to eat since five o'clock on the Tuesday. So this And your mum, Linda, sorry for interrupting you there. Your mum is 81 years old as well. Yeah, she's 81, yeah. Mm. Um, and she and hadn't eaten anything so since five o'clock the previous day. The previous day, it was, she had, she had had her, her dinner. Mm. Um, so that was fine. Um, the next thing was we were told at uh, I think it was about six o'clock that because uh, I was wondering what was going on, um, it was cancelled. Um, so I said, okay, right, this is a bit weird, but anyway, we let it go. So the same thing happened the following day. She was fasting all day long, um, and she was waiting to go to surgery. And the next thing, it was cancelled again. So I was told, I asked what was the story, and I was told that they had an unprecedented amount of cases um, going on. So I said, okay, and that if there was an emergency case came in, she would be pushed back. So alarm bells started going off me, and I said, right, okay. So the following day, um, the Thursday, I think, no, there was, yeah, the Thursday, it had been cancelled again. At that stage, I had lost the lot. Mm. And I said, um, I said, I want my mother transferred. I said, I'm not putting up with this. Um, she's had nothing to eat since Tuesday. I said, other than two slices of toast and two cups of tea. I said, she's 81. She's in a lot of pain. And this is not good enough. And, she's, and this, she couldn't eat, Linda, because she was waiting for the surgery. She was waiting mm. for the surgery. So I, I, I kind of said to myself, this is crazy. So I went up and I asked them and they said, you can't actually um, transfer to another hospital because... Uh, my mother would be a trauma case and to go to a private hospital it would have to be elective surgery. So elective surgery, I said, hang on a second, this can't be right. So I did ring a private hospital and I asked them and they said the patient can be transferred but it would mean that the surgeon would have to send over all the details and all the information 
would have to get onto the surgeon over there and ask if he was okay to do so. So I said, uh, I had said that to them. I rang them the following day and I said, listen, I said, this, I said, she can be transferred. I said, if she's not done today. Mm. So uh, they said, look, she's on the list for going down. And lo and behold, she was cancelled again. So on Saturday, I had enough. I said, this, this, I, I said, I want a surgical team up here. I want somebody up here to tell me why my mother isn't getting her operation. Why an 81-year-old woman is lying in a bed in pain, I said, and there's nobody giving me answers. There's no communication in this hospital. And there isn't. There is absolutely no communication between the uh, the surgical team and the, we say the, the person that's in uh, looking for treatment. Mm. Uh, but and were you were you able to go into the hospital with her? Were you able to stay in with oh, her? I was, yeah, I was mm. able to stay with her. And to be honest, I couldn't fault the nurses. They are absolutely fantastic. And they have to deal with the likes of me, who's given it to them in the neck. Mm. And I can only apologise for that because like, they're not at fault. They can only do so much. But there is major communication problem between downstairs and upstairs. But management, management are a joke. They're professional clipboard holders, as far as I'm concerned. If you have, if you go through a door of any and you have private health cover, you should all, if you're overwhelmed with cases in the hospital, well, then it should be looked at and there should be communication between other hospitals and say, right, this woman has private health cover. Is there a room in this hospital that she can have her operation in the next 24 hours? Why isn't that happening? I mean, like, it would make you wonder why you're paying health insurance in the first place. Well, you would, because, I mean, like, health insurance isn't cheap. Mm. It isn't cheap. Mm. When you have elderly people going into hospital, waiting four days for an operation in pain, that's not good enough. Yeah. That's not good enough by any standard. So then on Saturday, Linda, did she have the operation on Saturday? Well, when I rang on Saturday, they weren't guaranteeing me um, she was going down. And I lost that. And I said, where is my mother on the list? And she said, she's fourth on the list. And I actually thought I was going to blow a gasket because I'm thinking she went in on Tuesday and she's still fourth on the list on Saturday. Mm. Now, somebody else had come in that in, in the ward and had a, a hip operation who hadn't been in the hospital as long as my mother. And I'm thinking, how do they prioritise cases? Mm. But she had the operation and it went really well. And but she she was she was last done on the Saturday. I'll put it that way. And, and is it a situation that they prioritise cases depending on the need, or um, what way does it work? Well, the other operation that went in was also a hip operation. Mm. So, how do you prioritise one hip operation over the other? Mm. This other woman would, would have been younger than my mother. My mother's eighty-one. Yeah, but it has affected her because I can see it in her. She's like it really has taken an awful lot out of her. But again, I can't fault the nurses, but I can say what are management doing. And your mom is still in the hospital. Um, is she yeah. okay? She is, but her, like she is, she's in pain. But she—that's to be expected. Um, and she, they have her up in the mornings doing a little bit of exercise. Um, but she's in a ward that has no television in it. Um, to be honest, it's like a third world country we're living in where the medical service is concerned and where the hospital is concerned. 
There's, mm. I mean, can you imagine being in a room with uh, one, two, four other people, no radio, no television? Yeah. I mean, they have better service in the prison, for God's sake. Mm. I believe I read it on the, on the paper that they're into their Love Island. Hello. Yeah. And how long is your mum going to be in, do you know? We have no idea how long she's going to be in. Um, I'm hoping it won't be too long. She's in good form, but she's in pain. I think we're, we people here are, are being forgotten about. And management have a lot to be tanced to. But so does the government. You can't put it all just on management. The government has an awful lot to answer in this as well. Because you cannot have a situation where you have people going into hospitals that are waiting in hospital for something to happen. What does that do to their psychological uh, well-being? Yeah. I know, it's awful. Um, Linda, we are going to try and get a statement from the hospital and see what they say. Um, And in the meantime, I wish your mum all the best with her recovery and hopefully she gets out of hospital soon and is home soon. But Fiona, I just want to reiterate that the nursing staff are under so much pressure up there and they're doing such a fantastic job and they still manage to be polite and they still manage to do their job so well Mm. under such pressure. Yeah, I mean, I can't thank them enough. They really are super. I know they are. They're doing great work. It has to be said, but under awful circumstances, very um, yeah. difficult circumstances. Linda, thank you so much, and best of luck to your mum as well. Thank you very much. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? And if anybody else has had similar experiences, they can let us know here on the opinion line 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. And uh, we have received a statement. We did ask for a statement from the hospital earlier this morning. And we have had a statement back from them just in the last few minutes to say, while CUH cannot ever comment on an individual case, it must also be noted that the circumstances and pre-surgery preparations vary from patient to patient. It also depends on an individual's medical needs and cannot be judged on a first-come basis. The medical needs of patients are always the main priority. Um, And, you know, Linda was saying that, that somebody had come in after her mom and um, had received the surgery before her. And while her mom had gone in on the Tuesday and was seen on the Saturday, she was last on the list. But they say that it depends on an individual's medical needs and cannot be judged on a first come basis. Thank you very much for that. Now, Mary, you are up in um, around the Tory Top Road direction. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Mary, the active travel improvement works, which, which includes bicycle lane in the area, um, it's not a very welcome addition to the to the community, it's fair to say. No, it's it's uh we're 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 objecting. We have set up petitions on all the different roads and Tory Top Road because it will affect the businesses and uh, all the other areas. It's also, not only are we appealing the bicycle lane, we're objecting against no parking on the opposite side of the road that would affect the schools. Um, So it's not, Mary, it's not that you're um, objecting to the bicycle lane in itself. It's the fact that to put in this bicycle lane, you're going to have to remove a lot of parking in the area. Yes, um, on the bicycle lane from the Tory Top Bar, they will also be removing 12 trees and resetting 14 trees. Mm. We're against this up in Tory Top Road um, on that side because it will affect everyone because on the opposite side, there'll also be no parking. And considering that you have schools, people are using it for the community centre, they're using it for the local shops, 
um, everything. It will affect everything. It will um, either close down businesses or their jobs will be lost. Yeah. And um, us as residents of Tory Top Road and the businesses, we're not happy about this. And Mary, a petition <clears throat> has been started. Yes, there's been a petition. We've been doing it the last few days. Us and a few residents, we've been doing Botanic Road, Connolly Road, Clark Road, all the roads that would be affected from uh, Tory Top Road. Because parking, we live on the side that there'd be no parking. Mm. And we've been told that if we can't park outside our house, most households have two cars to enable them to go to work, that we would have to park on the opposite side. And they have the same problem as us. And I've been told that if we haven't got parking across the road, we'd have to go down to the further roads like Kent Road and Botanic Road. So that will actually cause more problems because it will bring the car parking down to the lower roads. Mm -hmm. And what will we do when we have matches, matches in Turner's Cross? And Cork City, and I've been told that if there's a funeral in Tory Top Road, that you can't park outside the graveyard Yeah, as well. Which is obviously going to be um, causing a lot of problems in that area for people. Mary, thank you for uh, getting in touch with us on the opinion line this morning. There is a meeting this evening. Mary, will you come back to us on Thursday and let us know what happened at the meeting and what plans you have for after it? We will. Uh, can I just say that the meeting is in for all the residents and the businesses around Tory Top Road and Ballyfehan that will be affected at 7 o'clock in the Ballyfehan Community Centre. There will be councillors and TDs. We're hoping Fiona Cairns, Mick Finn, Paddy Deneen, Sean Martin and Donica O'Leary. And there will also be an engineer to answer your questions okay. at 7 o'clock tonight. Seven o'clock tonight. Road, Valley, Great. Yes. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for getting in touch with us on the opinion line this morning. Now, as I said um, at the start of the show, we would be bringing you the latest on Love Island. The final was on last night. So if anybody didn't watch the final and are hoping to watch it later, you might want to turn off your radio for a few minutes because we are going to be talking about the final and who won. And joining me now to talk about it is digital editor of Stellar.ie, Denise Curtin. Good morning, Denise. Morning, how are you? Well, it's come to an end. <laughs> I know. Weeks I know, and weeks think, of Love Island have come to an end. <laughs> I think a lot of people are very, very relieved to hear that it's come <laughs> to an end. To be honest, even people like me who have been hooked to it from the very, very beginning, simply because I think, you know, listen, eight weeks is a long, long time to put down, especially when you're watching Love Island six nights a week. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Love Island uh, final last night, Denise. Um, the couple who won, um, I think it's no surprise, everybody, well, not everybody, but the majority of people who watched it and even those who didn't watch it were probably um, expecting Davide and Ekansu to win. Were they your favourites? Do you think that they were the right winners? They were, absolutely. You know, over the course of the show, my opinions have changed a lot on who I wanted to win simply because, you know, you get to see things that you're like, oh no, actually I don't agree with that anymore and so on and so forth. So definitely your opinion changes over time and who you would like to see take home the the title and obviously the prize. But um, yeah, Ekansu and Davide for the last, I'd say, three weeks now have been everyone's constant favourite to win. They just brought a lot of humour to the show. They were a very, very good couple in terms of everyone who's in a couple could see a bit of themselves in Ekansu and Davide, you know, the kind of, mm. the kind of like witty banter between the two of them and just kind of how they didn't take themselves too seriously, which I think is absolutely key in a show like this. So, um, yeah. yeah, they were brilliant and definitely, definitely um, the fan favourite. Do you think that they have a future on the outside? Do you think it's a relationship that's going to last? 
You know, I'd love to say yes, but a lot of the time with these Love Island relationships, it's a very, very intense uh, eight week uh, like part together. And then Mm. all of a sudden, you know, the outside world pulls you to do a lot of things. And what I've noticed over the years is that most Love Island couples, the reason they split is because work commitments. You know, you go into you go into Love Island doing very, very different jobs to what you do when you come out. When you come out, you've got personal appearances, you've got brand deals, you've got press trips bringing you to all different parts of the world. And all of a sudden, you're exposed to a lot more people as well. You have the opportunity to find a lot more connections that isn't just limited to, I don't know, 30 people in the villa Mm. um, over the course of the eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait, maybe they're not the person for me, surprisingly. Um, So I'd like to see them last the test of time but do I think they will I'm not too sure I mean if we were to go off the statistics of previous Love Island shows it's very very <laughs> very small the number of couples that do stay together so and Denise I yeah. think a big question for people over the last few weeks as well was that if Dava Day and Ekansu won would Ekansu take the money the 50,000 euro and not share it because of course couples are always asked will, will they take the money themselves or will they share it um, and it was a bit of a surprise last night with the money wasn't it yeah, it was. You know, they didn't they didn't give us any um like a split or or a share. It was kind of just mentioned that they would half the prize money, which I was a bit like, oh, okay. So <laughs> that's a that's that's an element that's been slightly changed. But I do think what we are noticing with Love Island is they are especially this year, I think more so than ever, is that they are kind of trying to change a few elements and tweak it so maybe that the backlash is a little bit less online and people mm. are more, you know, what would the word be? People are more kind of kind about the show going forward because I know there is a lot of elements of the show that people constantly dispute, especially when we see a new season coming in the ranks. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see, but maybe they were afraid that Davide would take the money and run or Ekansi would take the money and run. So I think they were like, OK, quickly mention that they're going to be sharing the prize fund, which is, I mean, 25,000 each if, if they were to split it down the middle, which is small money in the sense of what they're going to make now um, yeah, as the Love Island winners with brand deals and so on and so forth. And Denise, um, of course, there was an Irish interest this year and Dammy did get to the final, but he didn't uh, He didn't win. Um, were, were you surprised that he um, wasn't, he, was he, they were fourth, weren't they? Him and um, his, that, that couple was fourth. So Dami in India, they came third. Oh, they came third. Okay, third sorry. Yeah. They came third. Yeah, yeah. Was I surprised they didn't win, is it? Mm. Um, I I wasn't, you know. I think, I think why I wasn't surprised is because I keep very up to date on Twitter with, like, if I had the amount of tweets I read is, is chronic <laughs> on the show. And... <laughs> You can you can get a real good sense for who people are gunning for in that, and it was very obvious that Ekansu and Davide, if not maybe somehow Gemma and Luca were going to were going to take the the, the top prize, mm. and it, I could see that Dami and India were a massive favourite, but I didn't see them winning it. So no, I wasn't surprised, but I was thrilled to see them come third because um, they are a great they are a great couple, and of course it's fantastic for the Irish to always see to see someone there in the final. I mean. We had it a few years ago when Greg O'Shea won and it was fantastic. Mm. So yeah, it's always it's always great to see us being represented in the final. And so of course Gemma and Luca came second, Dami and India were third, and then Andrew and Tasha they were fourth. Yes, yeah, that was that that was the final the final outcome. Brilliant. Um and do you think what did you make of the series? I mean, you were saying there that you didn't miss any of it. Did you think it was a good series this year? I did. I actually really, really did. I'm very um what's the word? I'm very uh like 
judgmental of the shows at the beginning and for the first week or two because of course you know you're you're basing your kind of love of the show off the season previous and you're thinking oh these islanders are never going to level up to the islanders the year before who i was really really you know hooked into but um no this year they really really did pull it out the bag and they did so quite quickly as well i think it was by the third week that everyone was like whoa this is actually a very very good season Mm. um i think after casa more naturally it starts to fall off a bit and you do see a lot of viewers kind of think oh i'm gonna miss an episode or two because you know most of the catty drama that we all live for <laughs> kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. dies off a bit as people start to kind of couple up and like buckle themselves in for the final run. Um, but even this year, Casa Moore brought so much drama. And in terms of entertainment, season eight was absolutely fantastic. So um, definitely will keep me watching again for another year. And Denise, obviously, Ekansu and Davide have a lot of, um, you know, as you were saying there a while ago, there's going to be a lot of um, companies who are going to want to work with them and they're not going to be short of a bob or two after this. And Dami will come back into Ireland and he will probably make it uh, big over here. Um, when, you know, when we see the success of Greg O'Shea and Maura Higgins after Love Island. But do you think that any of the other contestants this year have a, a bright future ahead of them now that they've come out of the villa? Yeah, you know, like a, a lot of Islanders pre- in previous years said it really is what you make of it. And mm-hmm. in in terms of the past two weeks, any Islanders that have stayed for kind of the longest run of the show have the best opportunity at at making at making a good name for themselves. I know even when I went on to a couple of the Islanders' Instagrams last night, I think many of them stand at over one million followers, which I mean puts them yeah. in a fantastic place for brand deals and you know exposure in terms of like becoming you know the faces of certain Mm. companies and so on so forth so they have themselves in a leveled in a very very good position now it's just a case of getting a very good agent for themselves getting themselves within the kind of right elements of of different brands that they think speak to themselves so that they can kind of represent them best and then just kind of running for it you know like we saw with molly mayhig she is the biggest islander to ever come out of love Mm. island and she didn't win you know she came second so it's a case of that it's a case of just taking all you can from the exposure you've gotten and just leveling up and and making an absolute fortune brilliant Denise so you have to wait now until next year for next year yeah wait until next year exactly you know what I need the break so it's good (laughs) Denise thank you for that update on the final Um, what did you think at home were you happy with who won Love Island are you glad it's all over let us know 0818 96 96 96 and if you are looking for something now that Love Island is over well maybe you'll be able to get back out into your back garden and enjoy some of the summer evenings and while you're doing that don't forget that Cork X96FM's exclusive online station the Back Garden Festival is back we're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL your specialist in sound this summer listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie A 26 year old man has posted a very heartfelt post online about his experience of epilepsy from the difficulties in getting diagnosed at first to the reactions from friends and strangers and he felt like he was being treated as a freak and he says that now he has the diagnosis and um, doctors have been able to find the perfect cocktail of drugs to control his seizures and he's getting some control over his life as well and joining me now to talk about epilepsy is Sheila who is from Cork Good morning Sheila Good morning Sheila I'm not sure if you read Damien's post online but um, you know for yourself were you in a similar situation when you were when you started to have symptoms of epilepsy but um, were finding it difficult to get diagnosed 
Um, I did read his post and um, my situation in some ways is similar, but it's also quite different because I didn't have any sort of symptoms running up to it. I just had uh, a major seizure out of the blue when I was 19 um, and there had been no indicators previously to that. So what happened when you were 19? Just tell me a little bit about what happened. I was just at home um, in my apartment and uh, the person who was there heard me scream and came in and I was on the ground seizing. Um, and it was quite scary, I think, for everyone because uh, there was no indication it had never happened before. Mm. Um, didn't have a clue what was going on. And um, I had hit my head on the coffee table on the way down. So I was injured as well. And when I came to, I had no idea where I was or what was happening. Um, so the whole thing was, I think, a bit of a shock for me and everybody. Absolutely. And did you go then to the hospital and were you diagnosed with epilepsy straight away or did it take some time? Well, um, I um, I went to hospital in an ambulance straight away and uh, there was a little bit of concern because um, there is a hereditary illness in my family, which is a malformation mm-hmm. of the blood vessels in the brain. And they were concerned that I might actually be having a brain hemorrhage rather mm-hmm. than an epileptic seizure. So um, I went into CUH and I have to say they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, got lots of different types of brain scans and that was when they uh, realised it wasn't a brain hemorrhage, thankfully, mm. and they diagnosed me with epilepsy. So when you got the diagnosis, were you aware of what epilepsy is and how it affects people? Not really, honestly. I think probably the, the same as most other people who don't come in contact with it, that epilepsy is a thing where people have seizures and that's about it, you know, mm. and the more I read, I didn't realise about things like absences, um, you know, the the petty mal seizures, as they call them, the, uh, it can be staring off into space or the tics, like, or like Damien was talking about. Um, mm. uh, there was so much information that I had no idea about. And um, did you, um, obviously you were a 19 year old, you were after having this um, seizure out of the blue, you get this diagnosis of epilepsy. You must have been very um, afraid, were you? Or what was going through your head at that point? Yeah, I think at that age, there's quite a lot of self-consciousness. Mm. Um, and I think it was something that the poster referred to in his post. I mean, having a seizure is is quite dramatic. And a lot of the time things can happen, like you can lose control of your bladder. You can, you know, um, it just looks quite terrifying and scary. And if you're a kind of a self-conscious 19-year-old college student, you'd kind of be thinking to yourself, I would then, not so much now, mm. God, it'd be so embarrassing if I had a seizure yeah, yeah. in front of my friends on the street in the pub. And that's another thing you worry about. What if I'm walking on my own down the road and have a seizure and I've nobody with me and yeah. just I'm surrounded by strangers who have no idea what's going on, um, afraid to... I, I got very scared for a while, I think, of things that seem quite normal, like going swimming or mm. what if I have a seizure at the top of the stairs or what if I have a seizure when I'm crossing the road and get knocked down? You know, yeah, yeah. all these things. It just it's like a constant loop of of fear. And then, you know, as you read into it as well, you start thinking of all the the possible dangers um, that could happen. 
I mean, like, um, for example, um, would you have been able to drive at that point? No, I hadn't uh, started driving. I didn't uh, start driving until my seizures were controlled in my mm. late 20s. Mm. Um, and I'm fine. I'm seizure free now for 10 years, so I can drive. But uh, there, I mean, there's always the risk that I would have a seizure again and would have to come off the road for a couple of years. You say you're seizure free now. Is that due to, um, like Damien was saying in his post, that the doctors were able to come up with a cocktail of drugs to help control his seizures? Is that what happened with you as well? That um, it's the medication that has brought them under control? Yeah, absolutely. Because the last seizure I ever had, I had gone on holidays and forgotten to bring enough of my medication and ran out halfway through the holiday and thought, ah, sure, I'll be fine. Mm. Um, And then it takes a few days, I suppose, for it to come out of your system. And I had a seizure then when I got home from my holidays. So Mm. um, absolutely, I think it's the drugs that have sorted out my my seizures. So um, will you have to take those drugs for life then? Yeah. Um, you would hope, I mean, they do ex- well, experiment. They, they will have reduced the dose slightly over the years. Um, but then I actually had a, a baby and that sort of changes things again, because mm. all these things I didn't even know <laughs> yeah. when you're pregnant, your blood volume increases, which means that the level of your medication in your bloodstream will be less so they have to tinker with your levels so um I had been gradually sort of reducing my levels and then they had to go up again while I was pregnant and then the thing about the the medication is you don't say on Monday oh you can come down to a lower level on Tuesday it all has to happen very gradually Mm -hmm. so now I'm working my way back down again to where I was um so yeah it's uh it's definitely, I think, the, the medication has been a lifesaver for me. And Sheila, are you able to like live a relatively normal life now outside of the drugs? Yeah. Oh, I am now, yeah. I think the only big difference for me in the last 10 years has been um, my pregnancy was a bit different mm. to maybe someone who doesn't have a long-term illness. I am... Um, when you're epileptic, if you choose to have a baby, you know, the advice is to kind of plan in advance. Yeah. So to speak to my neuro, I went to speak to my neurologist and I spoke to the obstetrician and then came up with a plan and then they worked together on a plan for my medication. And, um, you know, cause being pregnant messes with your blood volume and your hormones and can increase the risk of se- seizing for some women. And then seizures can be brought on by exhaustion and stress. So post-labor seizures are very common. Mm. Or, you know, the first year when you get no sleep and are up all night (laughs) is also a danger time, I think, for people who seize when they're tired. So that was was probably, it made my pregnancy, like I had um, quite a few friends who had babies around the same time and my pregnancy was probably a bit different to theirs. But um, other than that, as long as I remember to take my medication every morning and every night, um, my life is pretty much the same as most people's. But there is always that slight caution in the back of your head, you know. Yeah. Remember, take your medication whenever you travel. Don't get too tired. You know, generally look after yourself, kind of. Mm. But I don't think my life would be massively different to anybody else's at this point. 
Sheila, um, when Damien was talking in his post, he was saying that, you know, the reactions from friends and strangers because he, you know, had these tics and these involuntary movements. Do you think that there is a lack of um, understanding um, in the general population about what epilepsy actually is and how it affects people? I think among some people there is like if you are a close friend or relative of an epileptic, you learn very quickly, I think, because you know, you'll be told if I have a seizure, this is what you need to do. This is what affects me and so on. But epilepsy, I mean, seizures are so kind of dramatic looking and kind of very scary if you don't know what's happening. Mm. Um, and I think it, it it's given this idea, it's nearly like there's an old stigma hanging around epilepsy that it's something shameful or something, you know, um, that you should try and hide from people. Yeah. Whereas I think what we need to be doing is talking about it as much as possible. So I tell everybody. <laughs> <you know? laughs> as soon as I make a new friend, I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm epileptic, just in case. <laughs> and I, I'm very open about it. I'll post about it online. I'll, you know, talk to you about it. Mm. And I think that's really important because I think that clears up the mystery and, you know, hopefully will kind of take away any stigma or anything or any concerns that people have around it. I'm fair play to you for doing that because not everybody can talk so openly about what's going on in their in their life like that. So um well done you. <laughs> well, do you know if some other nineteen year old college student finds out they have epilepsy and it makes it a little bit easier for yeah. them, then that's and Sheila, yeah, just for, for somebody as well um, who is with somebody and they suffer an epileptic seizure, um, like what advice would you have to that person for, you know, how they can help them or what, what should they do? Well, timing the seizure is important. So if the seizure lasts longer than five minutes, you really need to call an ambulance. Um, making sure they're safe, you know, a pillow under the head if there's one handy or mm-hmm. that they're not, you know, maybe in danger of falling off, falling downstairs or, you know, something like that, just making sure they're in a safe position and then just staying with them afterwards. Because when you come out of a seizure, um, for me anyway, I know that my brain doesn't sort of snap back into place. It takes a few minutes and I don't know where I am and I say weird things and I, you know, Mm. get very confused. So I think it's really important if, if, even if it's a stranger on the street, when they come out of the seizure, um, maybe stay with them a little bit longer, you know, to make sure that they know who they are, where they are, and okay. that they're safe. Brilliant. Sheila, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about epilepsy and what it is and how it affects you. And if anybody has any more questions, they can contact the Epilepsy Ireland. They have a Cork office in Ballancolic and Sharon O'Connell is the person there and she will answer the phone at 085-876-6626. That number again is 085-876-6626. Well, first, I want to go to Ger O'D. Um, there was a story that broke over the weekend in the Examiner and... Um, the Clonakilty Camogie Club had raised more than €5,000 in an online fundraising effort to provide uh, wheelchair um, beach wheelchairs at Inchidoni Beach and um, unfortunately 
the beach wheelchairs were purchased and they're being stored in a local councillor's home at the minute because Cork County Council has said um, that they can't be stored in the lifeguard's hut at the beach overnight and they're now not being used. Now, Ger, you're um, the father of Lily and you have used the beach wheelchair at um, the Warren, the nearby Warren, and have seen the benefits of it. What was your reaction when you read this, that this beach wheelchair is lying unused at the minute? Yeah, it's the... Um, good morning, firstly. Hi, yeah, good morning. Um, I suppose, look, it's it's absolutely invaluable, these wheelchairs. I stumbled upon it um, in the Warren um, uh, geez, about three years ago. Mm. And it just meant that Lily was able to be transported from the car um, directly you know, to the water. Mm. Um, and it just meant then that her, herself and her little sister were able to splash around and be in the water together. And... You know, it's it's great that, you know, they have these big wheels on them. There's different types out there. Mm. Um, they come from a, a supplier in Baileyborough off the top of the country. Um, but, you know, they can literally go anywhere. Like, it's, there are sales pitches that they can go anywhere. And I've proven myself that they can go anywhere because I've taken them, you know, from the beach. And I've had a loan of a wheelchair as well. Mm. And I've actually taken it up to the top of Corn Cross. Um, in from I, you know, with Lily mm. inside in it. So I suppose the point being, it's it doesn't really matter about the terrain. And I know I've heard um, some stories back from Cork County Council that beaches are too stony mm. and they're this, but like somebody, a male um, adult was brought up Kilimanjaro in one of them. So, yeah, they actually you know, said in a statement that the topography would need to be suitable. Local volunteers would need to be suitably trained and willing to commit to being available to provide on-site support and the wheelchair would need to be a suitable type for the location. But um, as you're saying, I mean, you sent us lots of pictures of Lily having an absolute ball, it has to be said, at lots of different sites around the country using one of these beach wheelchairs and um, in particular, there's a gorgeous photograph of her and her sister in the water. Like, you know, for you as a family going to the beach it must have been a completely different experience when you had access to the wheelchair yeah to be quite honest with you um, we didn't really go to the beach um, it was something that I would have um, avoided you know mm. we would have went to the local park and places like that but we would rarely have gone to the to the beach purely because of access um, unfortunately with, with her we'd say her standard wheelchair that she uses every day mm. obviously the wheels are quite thin on it um, and they sink and then you're you're dealing with the the um, issue of damaging the chair because they're not cheap, and you know she, it's a vital piece of medical equipment for her. And if you're going to get sand into the bearings and into the wheels and all of that, you know you could do damage. Mm. So this wheelchair, this the, these um, hippocamp wheelchairs can go into the water if you really want to, you know. They're quite um, low down, aren't they? And then they have these big wheels which allow the the buggy to go across the sand then and in different terrains. Yeah, absolutely. So the particular one being used on the beaches is pretty much what we'd all have seen in the past for a moon buggy. Mm. They're they're huge, big uh, front and back wheels. They don't sink. There's so much surface area in the wheel that it just won't sink um, in the sand, be it wet or, or very grainy sand. And as I said, it can go right down into the water. The beauty of it being down low as well is that they can actually drop their feet down um, into the water as well while mm. sitting in the chair and get that experience. So it, it's not all about taking the, the the person for a walk on the beach, you know, in the chair. That's not what it's all about. 
it's just that bit of inclusion where you can get somebody out of the car, put them into the chair and go directly to the water's edge. Mm. Now, they do another product as well, and it's called a Vipo mat, if I'm not mistaken. And that's pretty much like, you know, the blue poolside mats that you would see in a swimming pool. Yeah. And that's an option for Cork County Council to look at as well, because that rolls out and it just prevents the wheelchair from sinking. And again, it means that somebody can get from the car park down to the water's edge. And that's what it's all about. You know, and I yeah. think in the video that I did send you with the pictures, um, mm. I did, as, as it happened by pure coincidence, it was in Chidani that I went to with her in her standard chair just to see what access would be like. And I know there are two beaches there, but one in particular, it was a nightmare to try and get her down. You know, she was yeah. sinking uh, in the sand. Um, and it's quite, um, when, the, when the tide is out there, the ground is quite bumpy. Yeah. So when I bring her over the sand, it's it's hopping the wheelchair, whereas, you know, these, these designated wheelchairs would be, you know, to just glide over anything, really, to be honest with you. And that video that you sent us, it is available to view on the Opinion Line Twitter account. Um, and thank you for sending that to us. Chair, you must have been really angry when you heard that this, um, you know, that it was a voluntary community effort to raise the money to buy this wheelchair, beach wheelchair for Inchidani. But yet the County Council haven't um, given it the go-ahead because of storage. Um, they're saying that it can't be stored in the lifeguard's hut at the beach overnight. Yeah, and look, it is it's very disappointing because I've emailed a list um, into Fargal there to have a look yourself. Um, yeah, I'm just like looking at it here. Um, and sorry for interrupting you there because I was going to come to that question next. Um, like the size of Cork and the amount of beaches that we have in Cork and we have one of these beach wheelchairs at the Warren at Ross Carberry and like you look at Donegal there they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of these beach wheelchairs Wexford has um, seven as well and Kerry has, has five or six of them like why in Cork have we only got one? Yeah, I suppose, look, it's, it's obviously red tape within the council. Um, like you can see there from the list, you know, they're all mostly located at lifeguard huts. Mm. And just to explain to people how it works in the Warren and why this can't be replicated is, is kind of beyond me. But um, there's, there's a little pitch and push club in the Warren. Yes. And you literally ring them and you book the wheelchair. You have it for an hour unless somebody else comes along. You can keep or Sorry, somebody else doesn't book it after that. You can keep it until someone comes back mm. or comes looking for it and they'll ring you. And it's quite simple. You go up, you sign it out at the pitch and put. They give you a little slip and you hand that to the lifeguard and off you go. There's no, there's nothing complicated about this, you know. Um, and so I know they're just I, making I it complicated. <laughs> I mean, like, there no, seems look, to be, I, I in can, that statement, there seems to be loads of reasons why they don't have it. But, you know, um, like they were saying there about the booking system, um, that, um, it, you know, that um, people need to book in advance um, and there needs to be controlled access for signing in and out of the chair. But like if, you know, there's lifeguard huts at other beaches as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not just at the Warren. Yeah, I mean, I know, look, there, there obviously has to be um, some bit of a structure put in place for it. And I, I know I've heard mentioned about having changing rooms and, and all of this set up. Mm. Um, but again, it's quite simplistic how it's working in the Warren. They, they don't have any problems down there. You know, it's why it can't be replicated. Well, you know, really is is kind of beyond me. And look, the good work of the volunteers down there, and and I work personally work quite a lot with volunteers all around the country mm. for in my own job. And like, you know, volunteers are absolutely amazing, and they go in, they'll always pull 
the few quid out of somewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, and they work hard. And I'm sure that's what the Camogie Club did do. They probably did lots of different initiatives to raise this money and have that beach wheelchair for the summer. But here we are now about to go back to school and there is no beach wheelchair available for people, you know, especially when they're mm-hmm. there and ready to be used. And I suppose, you know, all, all credit to Councillor Hayes there for, for storing it and for driving it on. And I suppose it, it's apt really what he said and that the councillor dragging their, dragging their feet on it. And I suppose all I'd say about that, you know, it's great that the council are able to drag their feet mm-hmm. because you have people dragging wheelchairs, you know, to the water's edge, yeah. you know. So, you know, it's a luxury they have to drag their feet, but for the likes of Lily and many others like her, you know, they don't have that luxury. And this simple piece of equipment, you know, changes everything for families. Now, Cork County Council have said that they are in the process of commissioning commissioning a report for five beaches on beach access for people with limited movement. And this should identify the current limitations and what improvements can be put in place to increase access. But we don't know how long that's going to take and we don't know when we might see these um, wheelchairs at other beaches. But as you say, it's well for them to be able to drag their feet when other people, you know, like yourself and Lily, just don't have that luxury. Yeah, and like I've heard about this report being commissioned last year as well because it was mentions of Yall Beach, um, but they said it was too stony. But again, as I said, this wheelchair will go up Kilimanjaro, so I don't think a few stones on the beach are going to cause a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know of another little girl um, who's living down near the Fermoy area, and they go to Gary Vaux Beach. Mm. Now, they put, in, they put in concrete slipways along Gary Vaux Beach so people can get access to the beach. But unfortunately, there's a foot of a drop at the end of it, so they're really no good. Right. Um, and then once they hit the sand, you know, you're then having to struggle with the wheelchair again. Mm. And what those um, that, that family have to do for that little girl is to lift her down and sit her in a camping seat so that she can dip her toes in the water. You know, and again, while these wheelchairs are out there, that's what the struggle people have. And it's such a small thing to take for granted, but for for families who, you know, have enough going on and having these wheelchairs purchased and ready to be used and just in storage because, you know, somebody won't allow them to be used. It's just, you know, it's, it's look, it's heartbreaking for families because I know personally what it's like for kids to be excluded from different events. And this is a simple bit of inclusion with a simple piece of equipment, you know. Well, Ger, hopefully we won't be having this exact same conversation in another year's time. Hopefully by that time we will see some improvements and we will see one of these um, beach wheelchairs um, at more beaches like the Warren have. Thank you so much for coming on to the Opinion Line. And uh, did Lily get to the beach this summer? She did. She did. And she had a ball in the chair. Fantastic. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) And I was down there at the weekend myself and the water was lovely. So hopefully you get to go down again over the next few weeks before summer starts. We will indeed. All right, Chair. Thank you so much for joining me this morning on the Opinion Line. Um, Also, I was speaking earlier to Linda. Um, Her mother, 81-year-old mother, fell this day last week, was brought to hospital. She was told she needed a hip operation and um, the hip operation was cancelled three times times between Tuesday and Saturday and she eventually got it on Saturday but at that stage she had been fasting with just the odd slice of toast here and there because she had to have the operation and Linda was furious and frustrated with the system. She did say that it wasn't the nurse's fault, it was the system. 
Kate says, it happened to me with a foot operation. I would be told I was having the operation and the need and the don't feed sign put up to only have it cancelled a number of times. You'd be weak with the hunger and sometimes they'd forget to give you the tea and toast after the operation was cancelled. It's a disaster. Thank you very much for that, Kate. Bernie has also been in touch to say there's no time for elderly people or people with disabilities in this country. It makes me so mad. And Bernie, that I suppose applies to what Jer was talking about there with the beach wheelchairs. Um, you know, that there's one in Cork. So if anybody wants to bring anybody, you know, a, a child with limited movement, they have to go to the Warren in Ross Carberry and they have to book in, whereas we could have them at every beach in Cork. Um, and also another message came in to say, listening to Linda, I have to say that prisoners have better facilities than patients. And that comes with a sad emoji as well. And that's what Linda was saying as well, um, that in the ward, there's four people in the ward. She's been there all week. They've no TV. And she said, yet in prison, they've been sitting around watching Love Island. And, you know, there was a, a report out last week as well about the snacks that were going into the prison that, you know, that um, they were allowed to bring in sugary snacks. Um, and yeah, and you can see how the, it would be perceived that people in prison are being treated than people in hospitals, that they have better facilities. Um, if you would agree with any of those points that was made, you can let us know on 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Also, if you have a new smartphone or tablet, then grab the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice, streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on our phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96FM.ie. Here on The Opinion in line we have been covering the proposed closure of the Owenakura mental health facility and the effect that it's going to have on residents and we have spoken time and time again to local TDs, residents, PG actually went out to the centre himself and spoke to some of the residents um, and spoke to their families as well and it appears now that um, one of the residents has been moved from the centre and that the family weren't notified and joining me now to talk about this is um, Sinn Féin TD for Cork East and junior spokesperson on mental health and suicide prevention, Pat Buckley. Good morning, Pat. Good morning and thanks for having me. Pat- I, I just want to correct you, actually. I, I've lost my title as mental health spokesperson. That was handed over after the last term. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. Just to get apologies. a raise. No okay. panic. Apologies for that. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> but you're still the Sinn Féin TD for Cork East. <laughs> I am, <Okay>. yes. <laughs> so, Pat, um, the family um, have written a letter to the HSE. Um, have you been talking to the family themselves? I have. I've been talking to a number of family uh, members, uh, but what struck me most was I had a conversation Friday with one of the family members of one of the residents, and he had actually copied me in an email uh, from a response from the HSE and the situation where his brother was taken from the Onacora Centre to St. Finbar's, you know, as a kind of a, a so-called casual visit to see if they would like it or not. Right. But without any consent to the family members or anything. And to me, that's a red flag because when I see the response from the HSC to the family member, it's practically a generic response that we've been getting for the last over 12 months now mm. on this. And despite the fact that the HSC are saying that they have a plan, 
we have seen nothing in black and white. We've seen nothing in concrete. We've seen suggestions of three-bed units here and a three-bed units here. We're looking at units here. But the biggest problem and the biggest issue here is the Unicura Health Centre is actually more compliant than where the HSE want to send the residents to. So you're taking them out of the, I suppose, out of the melting pot and putting them into a fire, which absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. But the crux here is these are very, very vulnerable people, but they're also very, very happy people in that Onakura Centre. And yet the HSC are still adamant of closing the centre. And, and despite what they say, um, there's only eight or nine residents left. Mm. It's the demand for the services, pre even pre-COVID, that centre was doing over, just for the two short-term respite beds, was dealing with nearly 208 people a year for those two beds alone. They had a waiting list pre-COVID. Mm. You had a 20-bed unit that was practically full. And yet the HSE are spinning two lines. Number one, the building's not fit for purpose. We can kind of accept it's not fit for purpose. But the very fact here is the HSE are the proprietors of that building. They have not invested money in the upkeep of that building. And yet they use as an excuse that the building's not fit for purpose. Mm. I've also been made aware of that um, fire drills have been upped in the last week. Right. As well, you know, so there's something to me, and, and, and look, I'm very honest and blunt about things, and, and, and mental health is my passion. Mm. But to me, I feel it's very sinister. You have a catchment area of over 96,000 people in East Cork. That's one of the, that should be a model of consistency, fully integrated. If you're taking a resident out of a centre where they can walk out, they can cross the road and go to the dentist. Mm. They can come out the centre, turn left, go to the doctor. They can walk around the back of the centre and go to the supermarket or the market on a Saturday. The Garda Barracks is next door. It's in smack on the top of the town. Now, the HSC are saying they need to close it, right? Mm. Now, I'll tell you how bad it is. I had the First Minister designate Michelle O'Neill down a number of weeks ago in East Cork, and even the HSC couldn't even facilitate us with even a visit to talk to members in the Onacara Centre. Yeah. It seems to be constantly sinister, but my biggest worry here is they're breaking families. I've had two families onto me since Friday, and they don't know what way to turn. They can't get uh, answers, and in fairness, they have written directly to the HSC Cork Kerry region. But yet, I see the responses are generic. The priority is the patient. And the Cork Area Community Healthcare Path has said that while they cannot comment on individual cases, their team at Onakura continue to engage with residents and, where appropriate, their families to discuss future placements at other facilities. They've also said that potential placements which may be offered are in keeping with the assessed needs of residents and takes into account their expressed will and preference. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, like, what, what is your reaction to that? Well, the last line, I suppose, is the first point I'll make. Express will. It's the will of the people of, of the Onakura centres, the will of the residents to stay where they are. Mm. So, number one, you can knock that one on the head. Okay? Secondly, appropriate. How could you get something that is less, um, how would I put it? Uh, the best way to describe this, I suppose, it's how can you take somebody out of a place that's more compliant and put them into a place that's less compliant? And the best, to give, the best excuse I'll give you there is, one of the excuses the HSC are using that the the single rooms or dorms, whatever you want to call them, mm. are not large enough. Yet, I, along with others, went to um, Sarsfield's court and they were proposing to put them into like the old hospital wards where there'd be six in a ward with curtains, uh, you know, separating people. That's not appropriate. Yeah. And it's not an appropriate centre for these people. They're integrated into society. Everybody in Middleton knows the people that go into the centre, that use the centre, mm. you know. Now, you can imagine taking those liberties away from people, that they will not have the option to walk out that door, turn possibly left and left again to go to the market or go to the supermarket, or turn right and go down the main street. If you put them out to say, uh, Sarsfield's Court or up to St. Finbar's, it's going to destroy him. And, and, and I've spoke to one and I had his permission. He said, if they take his brother out of that centre, it will kill him. Yeah. No, that is a serious, serious statement. It's not mine. It's a family member statement. And, and yet, ha- as you I said, just read he, out the statement. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of these residents... That statement, I, it doesn't... It doesn't it, that statement, you know what? It doesn't actually... The, the ink that's on that paper is worth nothing. And we have them above now again in a couple of weeks' time in the petitions committee. 
Yeah. The HSE are going against their own policies. They're actually going against their own. The Sláinte Care Report, which I was lucky enough to sit on that committee, and it's about community-led, fully integrated, uh, fully supported services within your community. And yet, they use the spin that the building is not fit for purpose. Yes, where they're, where, yet where they're putting them, the buildings are actually less compliant. So yeah. it's like giving to you saying, right, you have a four-wheel pram. We're taking the child out that we're going to put them into a three-wheel pram, but you'll manage. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And it makes me very angry. Because as an elected rep, I'm trying to fight for the residents there, but it's also the services and people don't see that. It's not a building. There's a huge wraparound service there that has daycare mental health services, that has the 20 respite long-term stay beds, that has the two short-term respite beds. The services that go with that, whether it is dentistry, chiropathy, blood tests, everything will be lost. And you know what happens. Once mm-hmm. it's gone, it's gone. And Pat, I can hear your anger, <clears throat> and I know you said there a while ago that it feels sinister what they're doing, but um, I think inappropriate might be a better word. I know you used that afterwards as well, because we don't really want to cause concern and frustrations for people. But Pat, it's definitely one that we are going to continue following here on the opinion line. Um, you know, we have been following it from day one um, a, a year ago Absolutely. now. Absolutely, and uh, I have to, t- I have to, it is over a year ago, and I have to mm. thank you for that. And I'm sorry for cutting across you, because as I said, this is not a game... Um, this is not a, a, a run of glory. Yes. Okay. I've asked at the start, make this apolitical. It's about people. Yes. It's about a service, a vital service in the area. Brilliant. But unfortunately, we've been trying our best, but between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Labour, or Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens, this is happening on their watch. I've appealed to him over again. I've appealed to Minister Burkler. I'm black and blue from appealing to her and speaking to her. I've appealed to Minister Donnelly on this. I've appealed to Minister Burkler to come down, not even as in her capacity as a minister, but come down on the QT and have a look at the centre. And yet it's been dispelled over and over again. And you can hear it in my, my voice. Mm. Just, it, it's a lot easier to tell the truth than try and hide something you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it is very, very worrying. But as I said, and I and I thank you, I do thank you for, you know, airing it and keeping this on the, the boil because, as I said, this service, these services are vital for East Cork. Yeah. And if we lose them, we're going to lose people as well. Pat Buckley, Sinn Féin TD for Cork East. Thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. Now, we were speaking there a few minutes ago to Ger D about the lack of beach wheelchairs in Cork and Helen has been in touch to say there is a beach buggy in Red Barn Beach. Contact the Quality Hotel to use it. Thank you for that, Helen. And I suppose we just need to um, ask people to check in advance just to be sure because we don't want anybody going down there and being disappointed. But you do need to check beforehand. But thank you for that, Helen. Helen for coming in. If you want to contact us about anything else, it's 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, um, I was speaking there a few minutes ago to Gerald D, who was reacting to the news that the beach wheelchairs f- that were purchased by a voluntary group um, for Inchidani Beach are not now um, allowed, they're not allowed to put them out on the beach because Cork County Council are saying there's nowhere to store them and 
Prince Geraldy was talking about the fact that there's only one beach wheelchair in the whole of Cork down at the Warren and he was talking about the difference that it makes to his daughter's um, Lily's life um, and how they're able to now go to the beach and she's able to enjoy the beach with her sister um, Orla has been in touch to say great interview Ger we didn't get to the beach at all this summer I'm so annoyed with all the red tape that the disability sector has to cross barriers every day and this is no different Cork County Council need to fix this ASAP thank you for that Orla and if anybody else um, wants to get in touch on that whole issue, it's 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, this is National Breastfeeding Week. It started yesterday and... Um, Mugon, um, Kate Mugon is from nursingmama.ie and they have set up a new... Um, it's a breastfeeding course for new mamas. Good morning, Katie. Morning, how are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. Um, Katie, first of all, the, the courses, they're for preparing for breastfeeding and beyond or weaning from breastfeeding. Um, can people do these online or are they in person? No, so these uh, classes that have just recently been launched, these new courses, they are video on demand. So what that means is basically you purchase them and then you can dip in and dip out. You can watch the whole together if you wish. And um, with the preparing to breastfeed and beyond, it's for all parents that are starting out in their breastfeeding journey. They're pregnant at the moment and they're considering it. And this gives all the information that they need to um, understand how breastfeeding works, what to expect in those early days and weeks. Mm. And then through straight through, if you are in the middle of breastfeeding, and you've got loads of questions and like everything in the middle of the night, you're ferociously Googling, um, you know, is green poo mm. normal or my baby spitting up? Then this course is also for you. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the weaning from breastfeeding course, which is hugely popular. And that's when you're ending your breastfeeding journey and you want to know exactly how to do it. So the, what I found when I was breastfeeding was there's loads of information at the beginning of breastfeeding. You mm. find loads on Google. But when it comes to ending, you're pretty much left on your own. So the beauty of these two courses is that not only does do you get all the information during the course, but you also have extra support by a, via, a private Facebook group which I will host and I do loads of live Q&As to give extra support back. So um, this can be reached from anywhere in the world. And what I was, I do live breastfeeding and weaning classes um, online as well. But the problem with these is that people often find they're trying to get their little ones down to bed for the weaning mm. course and it's in the evening and it doesn't suit. Or on the other side, that's, they're on the opposite side of the world and I find I have a lot of clients from um, Australia and New Zealand and time difference makes a big issue here. It's so, great actually, um, Katie, that they're part. available, that they're video available online or on demand because as you said there, you mentioned they're in the middle of the night and, you know, if something like that happens, like because you were talking about your own breastfeeding experience, I know that when I started with my first and um, I started getting mastitis and I didn't know what to do and I was really tired and emotional as it was yeah. and I had the husband running up to the chemist to the late night pharmacy and, you know, it was just like, I just felt that we were there on our own with not a clue what to do and there was nobody to contact at that hour of the night. So to know that there is something available like that online exactly. would be great at the time. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this. So if you've issues with latching, if you're and a lot of the time when it comes to breastfeeding, we think there are issues when sometimes it's normal newborn behavior and being able to distinguish between both can relieve a lot of anxiety in new parents. So mm. it is a great course. I've had a really good uptake. So hopefully that will keep growing. And what we're trying to grow as well as the nursing mama community 
So parents from all over the world can join together. And that's where you can get some peer-to-peer support from uh, parents giving their own what they found worked really well for them. But I will also monitor to make sure that it is up to date, it's current um, and accurate advice being given. It's interesting that you talk about being available across the world because we often hear about here in Ireland how the breastfeeding rates are so low as compared to other countries around the world and it's because in a lot of cases there isn't support available for people and they don't really know where to turn if they have questions or if there's a problem, if a problem arises. Absolutely. Uh, you're dead right. I do believe that we really have to look at extra funding and it really needs to be prioritised. When it comes to lactation support, you'll often find that people, parents will go in with the idea that they want to breastfeed and they initiate it, mm. but it rap- our rates rapidly reduce within the kind of first three to four days after um, parents, uh, mothers deliver. And that's really down to lack of support. And that's down to our healthcare system at the moment. Mm. The nurses and midwives and public health nurses, they're all amazing, but they don't have the time available Mm. to sit down with a parent, to give them the support, to help them with the latching and attachment um, as much as they would like to. So we really do need to recognise the benefits of breastfeeding um, and how the implications are like are lifelong for both baby and the mother. And it has a ripple out effect um, even with regards to the healthcare system, because obviously we know that it reduces the risk of obesity, diabetes, which can in turn lead to reduced cardiovascular disease, which will have an effect on reducing down the impact on the healthcare service. Mm. So. Because yeah, even I, do like think I know from like my own experience, because I have two children and the first experience was a bit of a nightmare. But um, the second one, I did the domino scheme here at CUH um, and it was absolutely fantastic Amazing. because the midwives were able to come out to the house after I had the baby and um, talked me through it. And as you're talking about latching and all of that kind of stuff was done in the comfort of my own home. Um, and yes. like, But it's not available to any, everybody. I think it's only within a certain radius from the hospital. But, um, you know, so if you're living outside that, then you can't do the domino yes. scheme. Um, so it is support is really key it is it really is yeah and we we see that and parents will speak about it Um, and it really is down to the more support we have and particularly education and that's the whole theme of you know uh, World Breastfeeding Week this week is you know, um, educate and support um, through all sectors of society society to improve our breastfeeding Mm. uh, rates globally and when we look at education, if a parent knows what to expect before the baby's born, if they have a better outlook and I suppose realistic expectations when it comes to breastfeeding, uh, understanding how to establish a milk supply, it can really lead to a much more favourable outcome for their breastfeeding journey. It also leads to reducing down a bit of anxiety because we always wonder in those early days and weeks, I'm sure you did yourself mm-hmm. when it comes to, are they getting fed enough? You know, um, I, like, are they, am I giving them enough? Because one of the biggest reasons why most moms end up finishing up with breastfeeding is not down to pain or implications that way. It's generally down to the feeling that they have a perceived lack of milk supply, that they don't have enough for baby. Mm. But if parents understand how to tell that from having a good wet and dirty nappy output, um, looking at them during feeds, having a really good audible swallow can lead to them actually going, no, I can do this. I know things are going really well or being able to recognise maybe when things aren't going so well and where and when to get specialised help from. And Katie Mugan, um, if people want to avail of your, um, if they want to watch your, your video or if they want to have a chat with you about anything, it's nursingmama.ie is the website. 
that is it. You'll get all the information on it um, and you'll be able to access all um, the classes, both live and video on demand. And also my Instagram video at nursingmama.ie. I offer loads of tips and advice to um, parents as well so they can join me there. And you are, um, you have over 20 years experience as a registered general and paediatric nurse. So you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and more yeah, importantly, you've had your own experience as well. You've had your personal experience with babies. So you know exactly. Yeah, I've got my own four so I, and I've had very different <laughs> breastfeeding journeys on each so yes yeah no it is and it is it's very different for everybody isn't it <laughs> it is completely and I've had four kids and I can say my first was a very easy ride he lulled me into this uh, lovely um, sense of motherhood and my fourth was probably my most challenging and I had the most experience so you know yeah. it just depends on each individual baby and each journey is different brilliant Katie thank you so much for talking to us on National Breastfeeding Week and Dee has been in touch to say you're so right support is the key and it really is Dee uh, we need more support here for new mamas and as, as Katie was saying even mamas who have experience of breastfeeding it's not the same for everybody and if you would like to share your experience of breastfeeding in this country you can get in touch with us on 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96 and now voting has closed for the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards we'll announce the winners next Tuesday August 9th this year there's also a 5,000 euro media campaign from Cork's 96 FM up for grabs stay listening to find out if your favourite wins the best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers plumbers electricians and much more only on Cork's 96 FM a new show is starting on RTE1 this evening at 7pm called Horse Country and um, two of the people who are going to be featured in that show are sisters Emma and Deirdre Burchell good morning girls Good morning. morning. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. So Horse Country, I was looking at the trailer for it and it looks like a lovely show, but it's um, it's about young people who look after horses. Is that right? Um, yeah, it's kind of like a snapshot into the Irish sport horse industry, really, in Ireland. I guess everyone kind of sees the racing and the show jumping on telly, but not much is said about our side of things, which is the sport horse feeding. Which is a huge part um, of the horse world in Ireland. So it's kind of like the inside scoop on that and getting a taste of what that world really is like. And Emma, you're the oldest sister and Deirdre is the youngest. Is that right? Opposite way around. Opposite I'm the way, sorry. oldest. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to think she's the boss, I'd say. <laughs> so Deirdre, you started off first of all. Um, and Emma, you then, did you just see your sister's love for horses and you wanted to follow in her footsteps then? Yeah, I did. Hello, is Emma there? Yes. Hello? Hello, can you hear me, Emma? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, I can hear you there now. Why was it that you wanted to get into horse riding? Well, like, Deirdre was always around the horses and I just loved being with them, with her. So I kind of wanted to get my own pony and follow her footsteps then. Yeah. And you got your own pony. When did you get your pony? What age were you? I was four. Four. <laughs> yeah. And so did Deirdre step in then to try and, um, did she help you out? Was she teaching you how to do horse riding at, at the age of four? Yeah, she was. And Deirdre, for you yourself, um, how did you get into horse racing? Um, so I guess I got into horse riding. Um, I actually won my first show when I was two. So it was more so, I don't think I had a choice but then 
the stairs just landed on top of a pony. Um, so I didn't really get it, but it was in our family for years and years. And it's just, it's just, we were around them all the time. I see my grandfather, he'd always get horses in the yard, after school, he'd come home. I'd be on them, like around them all the time. So, yeah. The line is not great there, Deirdre. Um, I think, are you, we, we, you were saying there that it was, you were two, were you? Yeah, I was two when I won my first um, show on a pony. So I didn't, I don't think I got much of a choice back then. I think it was my parents who popped me on the pony and, and I went from there. And what is it about horse riding that you girls love so much? Um, I think I think it's just the animal. They're very interesting. They have every, each one of them has their own personalities, and you make great friends as well when you're out showing and meeting other people who are stuck in horses. Everyone's very like minded, and it's competitive, but it's like a big family at the same time. So that's nice. And so, Deirdre, what age are you now? If you don't mind me asking. So I just turned twenty three. 23. Um, and you, so yeah. did you um, go into horse riding as a, as a profession then? No, not at all. Not at all. Still <laughs> a hobby. Um, I don't think, I don't think I'd make much money if I was stuck in horses full time. It's more of um, the love of it really. Like anyone to be like, they always say to be a millionaire when you're stuck in horses, you can start off with 2 million. So I don't <laughs> think you make much money on it. So I decided to be a bit more sensible and finished my law degree in UCC so I keep them on the side and so, so have you got much time when you're doing your degree like have you got much time for the horses then um so you don't really see it as like a chore you see mm. it it's just a way of life so everything's interwoven together and so it goes side by side really it is hard it is hard but sure look it's the love of the horse and it's the love of the game so we enjoy it and Emma, are you hoping to do something else when you finish school or would you like to go full-time horse riding? You want to do the full-time yeah. horse riding? So have you got the 50 million there, have you? <laughs> yeah, oh, like when I'm older, I want to be like the primary school teacher and then like I'll have loads of my horses then because I'll have my holidays and I'll be able to go join with the horses and Emma, for you, um, you're still in school. So do you just come home from school and get straight in, then go down to the stables and, and get stuck in and, and do what you need to do? Yeah, I do. I clean out their stables or I leave them out or I'd like change their rugs if it was like too hot. I take off their rugs or I check if they have water and I feed them in the evening and feed them in the morning. And so do you spend a lot of time in the stables, Emma? Yeah, I do. It's like my hobby there. And what do your friends make of it all? Yeah, they, they like it. I mean, I've loads of showing friends up the north, uh, thanks to like the horses. So we all meet at like other shows. So, you know, they like it. My friends that aren't into horses, they don't mind. They come over and they see my horses. I'd offer them a spin on them. Mm. And Deirdre, how did it come about that you um, got to star in this new show on RTE Horse Country? Um, I got a call one day. Um, actually, my, my dad called me and said, they're not going to believe um, they actually, they're going to 
there's a single horse online promoting this new documentary and they said they wanted us to be in it. So I think maybe the Cotters who were, you know, big into the show association mm. might have had a, a word in there. But um, no, we were more than delighted to do it. And like we've been showing, like Kate who came down and filmed it with us, it, like you'd forget that it's going to be broadcast to the nation. Yeah. So like this week now, we're like, oh Lord, what did we say? <laughs> like we don't remember half of it because it was last summer. It was last summer it was done. So like there's there's moments there, like you just think you're talking to Kate really. So yeah. we were at the end of it, I guess, we were getting so comfortable with her. We were probably saying, no, we could say anything. It was like speaking to a friend. So I think, nation will see where you know when they watch the documentary we're definitely talking to you as friends because <laughs> it just felt like we're talking to Kate and I actually don't think at the time either we thought it would be such a big thing like yeah. we were just like oh grand yeah we might do a segment or whatever um but no it's amazing that it's got all this all this type of yeah definitely this week now until it comes out we're like oh god what was left in and what wasn't <laughs> but um, you know as I said there at the start I saw the, the trailer for it and there's beautiful um, relationship between you girls as well there's great crack going on between you both as well yeah in fairness we do we get we get along most of the time um, there's times there like I guess we, we do kill each other yeah um, and I think there's a little bit of that in the documentary maybe as well probably when you're out showing, it just gets really heated. But um, no, in fairness, we're good old friends, and sure, you know now. I guess that's sisters. What kind of a teacher is she, Emma? What kind of a teacher is Deirdre? She's a good one sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> now Ellie, my showing pony, she get out to me if I would like. I wasn't doing the right thing. Where she take the head off me. <laughs> <laughs> like some some days at shows, she's fine, and sometimes at like other shows, it can get a bit heated. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Emma, dear, the line is not the best, unfortunately, but it's been lovely to chat to you, girls. Um, the documentary Horse Country it starts on RTE One at seven PM this evening. And that is Emma and Deirdre Burchell from Cork. So if you want to see them, you can have a look at the show tonight. Um, with regards to some of your comments coming in, um, somebody has been in touch via WhatsApp to 083 to say, I passed Shandon yesterday, lots of tourists around. It's embarrassing for me as a Cork man to see that Shandon is just filthy and surrounding areas aren't much better. You might mention this at some stage. Thank you for that. And that came in from Kieran And Kieran yeah, um, I can totally see where you're coming from that. And I don't think it's just Shandon. I think there are a lot of places around the place where, um, you know, there's a lot of litter. Um, and I, I know that the 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 cleaners are out and about in the mornings doing their best but people need to get a grip really don't they and stop um, throwing their litter all around the place especially when it's a tourist attraction and we have tourists coming to the city let us know do you agree with Kieran on that uh, topic 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 A caller has been in touch to say I cannot get over the amount of grief that Sabina Coyne the wife of President Higgins is getting over her letter about peace negotiations 
the world came closest to nuclear war during the Cuban Missiles Crisis and we are in a very similar situation now. She is a stateswoman, no doubt. Thank you for that. And I think um, a lot of the people were arguing that who had supported what Sabina had done. Of course, she had written a, a letter calling for peace negotiations between Russia and Ukraine and it had been posted up on the President's website. It has since been deleted. Some people were saying that she's a private citizen, but then I suppose why was it up on the President's website, president.ie? Um, if you want to let us know, um, do you think she was right in what she did or do you think that it just showed a lack of, I suppose, understanding of the situation? You can let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, closer to home, in Kilbrin, a fire destroyed the home of a family. And joining me now is Emma. Good morning, Emma. Hi, Fiona. How are you? Not so bad. Not so bad. So your house in Kilbrin, yeah, destroyed, to say the least. Yeah. um, Pretty much anything that wasn't either burned was smoke damage or water damage Mm. um, or broken. So... When did this um, happen? This happened on Friday night, um, about half ten Friday night. And were you all in the house um, at the time? No, no, thank God. Um, we had made plans, all right, that we were meant to be home Friday. Hmm. But at last moment, we changed our plans and we sent my four children away um, to their nana and their dad for the weekend. Yeah. And we decided to go down to my friends. So we went down to my friends. And uh, we were sat down, we were chatting away and I get a call off of a neighbour to tell me, to start screaming at me, uh, where are the kids, where are the kids? Oh I goes, the kids are at their dad's. Mm. I goes, why? And she just tells me that my house is on fire. And I didn't believe it at first, I genuinely didn't. I just kept saying, if this is a joke, I was like, it's not funny. Like, yeah. And she was like, this is not something I joke about. And I wanted to go up, but I was after having a couple of drinks with my friends and obviously it wasn't safe for me to go up. So I was speaking to my landlady and all she cared about, she just wanted to make sure that myself and my kids were safe, that there was no one in the house. Aren't you Um, so lucky? I know that you've lost your home and everything in it, but aren't you so lucky that there was nobody in the house at the time? Uh, uh, it's all I can think of because I've seen photos of the house. It's all I can do. I can't actually face going up to the house. Mm. Um, I haven't been able to. Mm. That was my home. I, I'm only there seven months. That was my home and it's gone now. So I can't actually bring myself to it. I said it to my landlady, the investigation is going on today. Mm. Um, and I said it to her, I was like, look, I just don't think I'm able to face it. Mm. I was like, if there's anything up there salvageable, then fine. But the only one thing I wanted was photo frame, which my best friend now, she went off and she got it for me so that I didn't have to go up to the house. Mm. But um, I've seen photos of the damage. My stairs was on fire. Um, The landing was destroyed, all the flooring under the landing, which meant that I wouldn't have been able to get to my kids' rooms or get downstairs. You must be in a state of shock. I am. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am rattling here now as I'm talking Mm. to you. I know. Yeah. And Emma, I mean, like, obviously clothes and the like can be um, 
can be replaced, do you know? But I'm sure there are yeah. many, many things that you had, like, as you said, photographs and things like that, that, you know, can't be replaced so easily. Memories. Yeah, that's that's the thing of it. Like, um, any of those small personal items, no, I don't think will have survived. A lot of that was where the fire had started. So um, I don't think that they would have survived at all. But at the same time, I'm there going, they're only trinkets, they're bits, they're, you know, my kids can make more for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but bits like that. But it was my, the photo frame now was a collage and it's got photos of my dad in it. And my dad died a few years ago. So they're the only photos I have. That's the only thing I wanted mm. back out of the house. Um, but no, as regards things being replaced... Um, my best friend now, I literally got the call before I'd even hung up the phone. Mm. She was honest to have me and my kids move in with her. You know, yeah. she had it set, she had it sorted. She was working out room arrangements. Yeah. Um, before the fire was actually even out, her mom was out and she was rallying people together to come together with clothes and bits and pieces for the kids and for myself and stuff like that. The amount of support that has happened in the last few days I could never have ever imagined it I'm a blow in here I'm only here seven months I'm not originally from here and everyone is literally tripping over themselves to help us Isn't that great to see though? It is absolutely amazing I can't I will never be able to thank everyone enough for what they've done we lost everything like Mm. there was and within three days everything was back bigger Um, and better and and like, I mean, That's amazing. do you know, obviously um, your kids, like we hear all, all the time about the cost of going back to school and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Now, I'm not sure had you already started the back to school purchases, the uniforms and the bags and everything. But like, do you know, you have all of that as well to, to contend with yeah. over the next couple of weeks. So uh, Paula O'Donoghue has just really stepped in, hasn't she? And She is absolutely outstanding. There is no words for the woman. She deserves an island and... Nothing less, like, mm. she is an absolute legend of a woman. She promised me, like, she made me a promise on the phone Friday night that she would get me sorted, she would have me back on my feet before the weekend was over. Yeah. And by God, she stuck to it. Like, she, there, there's no if ands, or buts with this woman, like. She's some woman for one woman. <laughs> she, she really is. She really is. She is a person to with. And Emma, I think, I don't know, has she got, I know that she has put up an appeal for people to donate. Um, I don't know, does she have a GoFundMe page? But um, she is up on Facebook and she's asking people if they if they want to make a, a donation to, appe- you know, she's appealing to people to make a donation. You know, when you saw her putting up that post, what was your reaction? I just started bawling because we were already after getting people just land to my friend's door. And just hand things to her. Like, I, I still haven't been able to face people, to be honest with you. Mm. I'm not able to just have people talking to me. Um, so my friend Chloe now has been doing everything to deal with the people that are coming to the door. Um, people have been giving clothes. They've been giving toys. They've been giving books, shoes, you know, stuff for the kids. Mm. Bits and pieces that I wouldn't normally think of. Um, they've given money and vouchers and stuff like this. Like it's absolutely overwhelming. 
to say the absolute least. I, I've been crying more than I've ever cried in my life now with the last few days. And 90% of it is just out of the generosity of others mm. has just got me. Like, it's just amazing. It would just make you so really, emotional. Really, really amazing. To see the it really is. people. It really, really is, yeah. You know, I've I've never experienced this kind of generosity in my life. So it's completely foreign, but it is absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful to everyone. What ages are your kids, Emma? Um, my eldest is seven. I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So do they even understand what's going on? I haven't, I haven't told them. They have been staying with their dad and their nana and auntie now with oh. their, with the last few days. And until I can get them better settled and better situated, I will be leaving them there for the next couple of days. I'll be having them back on the weekend is my aim. I'm I'm hoping for at the same time, I'm still there going. I have to explain to them where their home has gone. Mm. So I don't know how to do that one. And I mean, if anybody out there has been in a similar situation and they have any advice that, you know, they found helpful, they can let us know and we could maybe like pass on those details to you because it is, you know, it's a situation that you wouldn't know what to say if you hadn't been in the situation yourself before. No, I've I've had friends now and I always thought that was as close as it was going to come, Mm. you know, that I'd, I'd hear if something happened to them and we'd rally around for them. You know, but I never expected something like this. It's always the way, like, mm. you know, it'll never happen to me. And then it does. It's and so it's frightening, just, isn't it? It's just to see, like, how terrifying. how quickly a fire can rip through a house and just destroy everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, my house was gone before the, ambul- or the fire brigade turned up. God love you. It's just awful, Emma. I feel so sorry for you and your family. I really do. Um, and it's it's great that you have Paula on your side and others, you know. And as I said, yeah. if anybody out there has any advice for Emma on how to talk to her children about this, you know, if you've gone through something similar, you can let us know. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Emma, um, you know, best of luck now with everything. And you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with Paula, we have her number here as well. And as I said, her number is all over Facebook as well. Um, yeah. and and you know you have all your friends around you which is great how are you I feeling yourself you. like you're just you're just um, a mixed bag of emotion to be honest mm. with you you know um, it's it's up and down but I've I've a really great partner I've got really good friends mm. I've got Paula you know I've my kids my in-laws they're brilliant as well so yeah. I cannot I cannot fault anything. I have good people around me, so I know it'll be okay. Okay. Well, listen, best of luck with everything. Thank and you. hopefully you get back on your feet very soon and hopefully everything works out and that your kids are going to be okay as well. Thank you. Thanks very much, Fiona. Okay. And as I said, if anybody would like to give Emma some, um, you know, advice on how to talk to her kids or if anybody would like to contact Paula, they can get in touch with us here on the opinion line 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96 is the text number. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. Now we did get a comment in about Sabina Coyne, the President's wife, who um, posted a letter about peace negotiations between Ukraine and Russia. And it was posted It was posted on the President's website, president.ie, and it has since been deleted. And there's been um, a lot of talk and a lot of debate about it over the weekend. And John O'Donovan has been in touch to say, I think Sabina Higgins was right this time. We have taken in so many people. Peace has to come at some stage. We need a ceasefire or the slaughter will keep on going. We do need a ceasefire, John. That is not um, without question, but I suppose, to, um, you know, it's whether or not, I think it was Sabina's wording, really, John, um, you know, where she was kind of saying that um, the two presidents needed to sit down and have negotiations and people were saying that putting them on a level like that probably wasn't right. Um, and I think the article was originally only going to be in the Irish Times um, and um, it ended up then on the President's website um, and we don't know yet how that happened or why it happened. Um, you know, I think she was writing to the Irish Times probably as a private citizen um, but um, it's one that has definitely garnered a lot of attention over the weekend and there's been a lot of debate over it. Um, if you'd like to let us know what your own thoughts are on that, it's 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 Now there's a gorgeous little book out at the minute. Um, it's called My Little Album of Ireland. It's aimed at children and it's I suppose it's like a, a photo album of various different places around Ireland with gorgeous little illustrations in it and it also each page is accompanied by both Irish and English descriptions so it's you know teaching your children about um, places of, of interest around Ireland but also let, helping them build up their vocabulary in both English and Ireland and Irish and it's by Juliet Summond but the illustrations are by Tarsilla Cruz and I'm joined now by Tarsilla. Good morning. Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Um, Tarsilla, my little album of Ireland it is a gorgeous book. Is it supposed to resemble a tourist photos of interesting places that they've visited in Ireland and that they might put an album together of their, their tour around Ireland? Is that kind of the idea behind it? Yeah, a little bit. Well, the, the little album of Ireland is kind of a, a sequence for the other book that we had is this My Little Album of Dublin, which we created together. So um, the way that we created these books is more like an ode to the city and the country that we fell in love with. Mm. And of course, it has that appeal to tourists because it tends to feature some of the highlights of this beautiful island. But our aim was to make the places a little bit generic as well so that people from all over the world could also see themselves and their lives in it. So it is kind of specific, but a little bit generic and quite diverse so everyone could see themselves. And of course, one of the places that we'd be really interested in here in Cork is the English market. And you've captured the atmosphere of the market really, really well. Um, Like, were you there yourself um, in the English market? Have you been? Have you visited it yourself? Well, I have not, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, but but thank you so much for you to uh, mentioning that um, I captured the atmosphere because um, I was just fascinated. I haven't been to Cork yet, um, but it's one of the places that's on my to do list, mm. and 
and the thing that's capturing the atmosphere, I did a lot of research. I spoke to people who've been there. I have friends who are from Cork and told me about it and how we felt. So looking through some photographs and seeing the people there, I wanted really to capture the mood through through my illustrations. And because through my work, what I really want to do is it's really convey the mood rather than how it looks exactly like in a photograph. Yeah. So, so what I want really is to get to engage people, any sort of reader, adult or a child, hopefully they'll, they'll be doing, looking at this book together yeah. and they can see themselves there, even if they haven't been, but maybe entice them to go and explore that place. And if they find themselves in the book, um, they, they will feel more likely to do it. And it might not even be a character that looks exactly like them, but maybe a character that's doing something like they do. Maybe it's riding a bike, maybe it's tasting the gherkins, or maybe it's playing with the dog or something that they do in their daily lives and not exactly how they look. Yeah, because with the English market, because you have the the little fountain and you have people sitting there and their facial expressions are great. It's like a family and the dad just looks like he doesn't want to be there at all and the baby in the arms. And then you've got the sellers behind and the meat counters and, you know, people going about their business and it's kids running around. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really nice. And you see people having conversations and they look so animated, you know, and it's just, it captures the atmosphere of the market brilliantly. Um, and like all the places that that are in this book like I know you were saying there for the English market that you were talking to people who were there before um, so did you just have to like how did you pick different places like were, were there places that are on your to-do list or places that you had been yourself or people or places that you had spoken to people about like how did you think of or how did you come up with the places how did you decide on the final ones so the the, the 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 mapping out of ideas was really Juliet's work and she did a fabulous job. We actually had a map of Ireland mm. to use as a guideline so we could pinpoint the places all around the Ireland to make sure that we would cover the whole of the island. We actually cover beyond. We go to Tunanog. So oh, <laughs> um, there are, yeah, so there are lots of different places that we go to. So we really wanted to make sure that this is an inclusive book, not only in geographical terms, but um, uh, that every, like I said, um, that everyone feels themselves like see, they can see themselves in the book. So we have people from different ethnicities, different abilities, different ages, and that was all intentional. And picking the places was really trying to find some places that were representative of a certain area, mm. but that also communicate what Ireland features um, as, you know, as their highlights as well. So we have a castle that it was in by Trim Castle, but it could be any kind of castle that is a ruin and that we have loads around, you know, so all of those so is the whole idea trying into to, consideration. It's the whole idea trying to get children engaged in the culture and places around them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, getting, getting them engaged with not only those specific places, but get them to kind of want to know more and learn more and kind of say, oh, what would be, what would the Gwil talk to be? Or what would Dublin be like? And I visited plenty of different schools throughout Ireland showing mm. the, this particular book. And children always feel like uh, it's a little bit of their home 
but they also feel like they want to go and explore the different places so so it's it's really heartwarming to see that happening and it's lovely as well in that it um encourages children to learn the irish language then as well Yes. Um, so, well, Juliette, she's French and I am from Brazil. So because we're from different nationalities, <laughs> we, we see we see this importance of embracing, you know, culture and or honoring its multiple languages. So we both speak multiple languages and mm. we see Ireland as this country that is growing and integrating more other cultures. And it also has a lot of pride in its own native language. And I find Irish a beautiful language and, and as a matter of fact, most of my books are Asquil Gay. Yes, I'm, I'm learning Irish myself. My son goes to a Gwell school. So right. there, there are multiple layers in this book about the love of Irish. And even like I was saying in the Gwell talked page, um, we actually put the words in Irish first and then in English, different to the rest of the book in which the words come first in English and mm. then in Irish. And what is it about the Irish language that you love so much? Oh, I just, well, I, I love languages, but mm. I find um, Irish is a very poetic and descriptive language. Mm. And once you get to understand it, and I'm not, you know, super fluent, I can like have a little conversation, yeah. uh, but um, when you start to understanding uh, to understand how places are described and how people see the world. It, it's sort of magical. And I find that, especially like, because English is not my first language as well. So yeah. I discovered that once you learn a different language, you kind of see the world through a different lens and you understand the culture better. So I find that Irish is sort of giving me that opportunity as well. And how did you end up coming to Ireland? How long are you here? <laughs> well, so, um, I um, I came from Brazil with my the then boyfriend, now husband. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were we came here to stay for six months, and um, it was when I graduated university, and we wanted to spend some time abroad. So we decided that before we committed to buying a house and settling for many years, we wanted to spend some time away and perhaps get some experience. I had already lived briefly in the States when I was 18. I studied high school there and I knew that it was a really good time to take a break and go abroad and maybe learn something new. So Ireland was the choice because we had heard that people were friendly, um, despite the weather being quite changeable. Um, And also... um, um, having English as a language and the possible uh, working opportunity. So we came to stay for six months and uh, we've been here for 15 years. Wow. Well, Tarsilla, you're going to have to come down here to Cork now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It would be a wonderful pleasure to actually get to like the little boy on the market page, the, the English market page that he's drawing by the fountain. I drew him as, you know, the inspiration of me being there and actually sketching it around. And do you just do illustrations for children's books, Tarsila? Or like, how did you become an illustrator? And, and what's your interest in illustrations? Well, I illustrate a plethora of things. I illustrate books, articles, portraits, you name it. Um, I've illustrated the RTE Christmas Guide for a few years as well. So anything, yeah, so anything that, you know, conveys a story or a heartwarming feeling, that's really sort of my uh, my, um, place of 
happiness, let's say. Yeah. But I, I love other things, uh, painting, collage, photography, and I love reading. Books are really a big part of my life. And I think that everything that we come across in life can be integrated into what we do. So I try to do that with my work. And also, um, I used to be a teacher in, in Brazil. Right. And so kind of nourishing from that side of teaching i'm working now with children's books ireland which is a charity um in, in ireland a registered charity mm. that has the aim of um, making every child a reader and i'm working with them as a champion of reading with a in a three-year project with the wonderful school saint joseph's national school in dock and we're trying to make every child a reader and kind of instilling a love uh, of reading for pleasure and fun so i facilitate workshops Shops, I engage with the children, but I also do workshops for other schools and libraries and festivals and events. So that's kind of my work. Brilliant. Well, you're doing great work. And as I said, the book that yourself and Juliet have put together is only gorgeous. And if anybody is looking for something for the kids for the rest of the summer to keep them entertained, um, I'd highly recommend my little album of Ireland. And as I said, Tarsilla Cruz is the illustrator of that book. And thank you so much, Tarsilla, for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Now, are you a person who gets hangry? Um, Well, I am a person who gets hangry. And um, I just thought it was something that people said um, but now studies have shown that it is actually a scientific um, reaction that some people have if they are not eating on a regular basis and joining me now to talk about it is neuroscientist and host of the Superbrain podcast Dr Sabina Brennan. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm well. I'm I hope well. you've eaten. <laughs> no. <laughs> I come off the air now and I'll be extremely hungry. But um, I mean, like, I was actually quite surprised when I found out that, you know, that there had been research into this because, you know, is it just a case that, um, you know, if you're a little bit tetchy or a little bit angry that, you know, um, it's just that your blood sugar levels are low and that you need to eat? Well, yeah, it, it kind of is really, you know, I mean, it's a lovely blending of words, isn't it? Hungry, yeah. you know, it's a great play on words. Um, now, there's lots of research on hunger, um, but there's not a huge amount of research on hunger. Um, but there has been a recent study that kind of grabbed a lot of media attention mm. recently um, that showed that, um, you know, because it was published in a reputable journal, um, <laughs> that it did show a relationship between feelings of hunger and anger in that the more hungry participants in the study felt, the more angry and irritable that they felt. But, you know, um, you kind of really did touch on kind of the core of it, you know, that it is does have a lot to do with our glucose levels. Mm. Um, but also, you know, hunger is a, an unpleasant signal for a reason. It's an unpleasant feeling, you know, for a reason. And, and, and that's because the primary function of our brain is to keep us alive. Right. Yeah. And, and part of keeping us alive is, you know, our brain constantly has to monitor that our, our various bodily symptoms, systems rather, um, maintain what's called homeostasis, you know, that they keep ticking over at the level mm. that they should be at 
to, you know, keep us healthy. And so your brain is constantly making these fine adjustments so that everything is just as it should be. So then when your glucose levels go out of balance or you become dehydrated, uh, your brain sends signals um, that we experience as thirst if we're dehydrated Mm. or similarly we experience as hunger. Now, they're really unpleasant feelings. And the reason they're unpleasant, it's to ensure that we take action, you know, that we don't ignore them. So we're compelled to drink fluids or we're compelled to um, eat food to make that unpleasant feeling go away. So it's a really good survival mechanism. But why then but when do, you haven't like, eaten... Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, if some people, like, obviously everybody is going to get hungry, but, like, why do some people yeah. get um, more angry then or more tetchy because they're hungry? Because, like, I know people that can go for hours and hours and not eat anything. And, um, and yeah, it's kind hungry, of interesting that it... Yeah, like if they are hungry, that they might just get hungry and get very angry. Mm. Yeah, I don't particularly get angry when I get hungry, but I do notice um, uh, that I can't think straight. You know, my brain function doesn't work well. Um, So when you haven't, I'll sort of explain what happens. And um, it's probably just, you know, that difference in what we call it's just the variability in in sort of the human condition, you know, in that, you know, across every sort of, human function you know you know sort of 68% of us are around the same but then you have variation some people are much worse and some people are much less you know there's a natural variation but basically what happens is when your level of sugar glucose in your blood decreases and the stress hormone cortisol and the fight or flight hormone adrenaline are actually released into your bloodstream to try and rebalance that blood sugar in <coughs> in an effort to restore that um, homeostasis that I was talking about. And that's what actually can make you feel irritable. Mm. And in some people, that kind of can lead to aggression. Now, it also, that low blood sugar also interferes with our cognitive functions. So that's why, for example, for me, I um, experience difficulty in concentrating or I might make more mistakes. Um, um, And I'll also feel, it'll make me feel sleepy. Um, And for some people, they'll even feel a bit clumsy. Yeah. Like <laughs> I can totally relate to all of this, but I get all of that, and I get like I know myself. I'm I'm kind of uh, getting really uh, annoyed at things that I wouldn't normally get annoyed at. Yeah, like, no, my, absolutely. And my husband might say to me, "When was the last time you ate?" Because he's no, he knows that I'm being really he illogical. Knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, it interferes with when you when you're you've low blood sugar. It interferes with a, a, a brain function. Actually, it's in the 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 frontal lobes of your brain Mm. that helps us to control our impulses and inhibit um, our less socially acceptable behaviours. So it's a part of the brain in the frontal lobe that controls what we call our executive functions. Um, And and that sort of explains that. And and that takes a lot of energy, right? So that part of the brain sort of it's really involved in those learned behaviors, you know, when you say, like as a child, you just behave and then you learn, no, 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 you can't say that or you must say thank you or, you know, and you learn those behaviors and those behaviors use a lot of energy. 
So when your glucose levels fall, yes. it, 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 you kind of, you know, you have less control over those behaviours. And so you say the things you shouldn't say. So sorry for me now to say irritated. like, well, this is out of my control. It's not my fault. <laughs> well, in a way, in a way, it's harder for you to control those things. So mm. I guess it just affects sort of some of us um, differently. But the interesting thing in non-human research um, you know, what you see is that, um, excuse me, <laughs> that animals um, become more aggressive. They have, you know, when they, you're, they're deprived of food, it causes, they become more vo- motivated to engage in um, aggression, aggression to yeah. gain food. Excuse me, I have a, a, <clears throat> a okay. frog in my throat. Um, so actually, quite probably, and if you think about it, it actually makes sense Mm. That it experiencing anger when hungry is probably a biological mechanism that's helped us to survive. Because if there's a shortage of food, and so you're probably more likely to survive while I'm struggling to think straight. (laughs) (laughs) You're busy there getting angry. No, sorry, I'm going to get that food before you. (laughs) (laughs) But it does make sense in a way, you know. Yeah. Well, ultimately, but I do think you know it's kind of interesting that a word has emerged for it, because in the past, you know, when we're hunter gatherers or whatever, you know, our primary function really was to make sure we have enough food. You're constantly looking for food because things have changed for us, and we have food at at our disposal. We don't have to go out and hunt for it. It's at the fridge or whatever. We kind of have, you know, we've this distorted. Um, mechanism where we're focused on success, we're focused on getting money rather than getting food. We're kind of dis- distant, mm. distanced from that. So we're it, with our modern lifestyle, we're skipping meals due to work pressures. So, so we're kind we of distant from that. Just kind of graze during the day, eat small amounts regularly. I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But I think what we really are better from a, and, and where I come from is from a brain health perspective. Yeah. So certainly from a brain health perspective, what your brain really requires is regularity. It is constantly trying to ensure and make decisions around where in your body needs the limited resources that you have. So like if you want to wiggle your toe, your brain has to make sure that that there's sufficient energy to do that and has to send the signals down for your toe to be wiggled, etc. If you have to make, a, you know, if you're trying to plan a strategy for your company, your brain has to make sure there's sufficient energy, um, you know, in your frontal lobes for mm. that to be carried out. If it's not sure when it's going to get energy or where it's going to get it, I mean, the primary function is always going to be around keeping you alive, you know, your 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 heart rate, your blood pressure, keeping your breathing going, you know, all those basic functions. So, um, you know, regular sleep, regular exercise, eating your meals at regular intervals. But if you think you're going to due to your. Ah, have we lost her there? She must have been, she must have been hungry, hangry. Okay, well, we try to get her back there. That's Dr. Sabina Brennan talking to us about hanger and the fact that it is a scientific uh, word now. It's not just uh, something that we, we uh, threw out there to excuse our behaviour. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 On Quartz 96 FM. 
The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time Voting has now closed for the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. We'll announce the winners on Tuesday, August 9th. That's next Tuesday. This year, there's also a €5,000 media campaign from Cork's 96FM up for grabs. Stay listening to find out if your favourite wins. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie. Your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96FM. Now, Michael has been in touch to say, I think Sabina Higgins was correct in what she said. The backlash just goes to show the type of censorship that something is acceptable. It could be that, Michael. It could also be that it's a, a quiet time of the year and um, there's not an awful lot else to talk about in the media. But um, let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, the Queen of the Detroit United Irish Society's programme has been running for over 60 years promoting Irish heritage, culture, traditions and empowering women of Irish-American descent. And they come over here to Ireland um, and they've been to Cork a number of times. And joining me now to talk about it is Chairwoman of the Detroit United Irish Society, Sheila Cassidy. Good morning, Sheila. Well, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm very well. I'm very well. The Queen of the Detroit United Irish Society's programme. So what exactly is it doing over in America? Is is it just, it's a competition, is it? Indeed it is. Let me give you just a small bit of history. As you mentioned, um, our program has been going on for over 60 years. And back in 2015, we changed the name to the current name we have. We were formerly known as the Maid of Erin. And while to the Irish that has a strong meaning, but to the common people, people were questioning who is Aaron and what is the maid. So we decided as a committee to bring the name up to the modern generation and the modern um, ways of life, if you will. Mm. So as having said that, we, we don't forget where we came from, but we wanted to keep our, ourselves um, up to date so people knew who we were. So the program indeed is all about um, showcasing the Irish-American women here ages 17 to 24 and let them tell their story and their proudness of their Irish heritage and culture and they're judged before a live audience and they have formal questions about everything Irish yeah. and they have a you know plenty of time to prepare for that and then the queen goes on to um, represent the Irish community here in Detroit and, of course, in Ireland, along with her court members. And um, the Queen wins a trip to Ireland and the court members win a monetary award to help further their education. Or, in fact, if they want to travel to Ireland, they may do so as well. And you are coming over to Ireland in a couple of weeks' time uh, with the, the current Queen. Correct. We actually are a um, little bit lucky this year uh, due to the fact that we weren't able to travel for two years. We have promised our 2020 queen, Claudia Ray, who honored honored us by staying on for two years because mm. we couldn't have our program. So we're going to bring Claudia Ray with us and the 2022 queen, Sarah Gum. Um, and this, this visit to Ireland started in 2015 when, at the time, Mayor John Paul welcomed us to a meet and greet at the council um, office there in Cork. And since then, we've been coming back every year, minus the two years we couldn't travel. Yeah. And in 2016, we were very honored to have John Paul 
um, come to Detroit, Michigan, in our Cork town, and he per, uh, participated in our St. Patrick's Parade, which then turned our parade into a uh, international parade, which is very exciting. Wow! So uh, yeah, and uh, John Paul O'Shea, of course, was the mayor of Cork at the time back in 2015, um, and I'm sure it was a great honour for him to go over and be part of that parade. And as you said, it's it's Cork town. So is there a bit of a connection then between Cork, where we are now here, and Cork town in? Detroit, Michigan, where you are. Absolutely. Well, we all know that the uh, Ford family immigrated from Cork, Ireland, and they set their footsteps here in Detroit and around the world and made um, made a better life for many, many people. And, and we've been continued to do so working with Etzel Ford. And there's a train station located downtown in Corktown. Now, Corktown used to be a different name. It was a suburb in Detroit until many immigrated from Ireland and other parts of the world, but they when they stepped off the, the steps at the train station in downtown Detroit, many Irish picked up their first home location in that neighborhood. Hence then, they changed the name to Cork Town because there were so many immigrants and the Irish did so much for the city of Detroit. And now that train station is being refurbished and remodeled and it has been bought by the Ford family. So it's almost like a full circle turning back once again. And what's really exciting with that, too, is in 2019, uh, former Mayor John Paul O'Shea and Councilor Mayor um, Mary Foley and Nicola Radley signed um, a friendship agreement with the city of Detroit to further business opportunities and a friendship with our Corktown and Cork, Cork in Ireland. So it's a bridge building back and forth, um, quite strong. And like uh, Declan Hurley said, the only thing separating these two great countries is a body of water. <laughs> Isn't it the truth? <laughs> <laughs> so Sheila, Absolutely. yourself and the two queens are coming over here on August 8th, 9th and 10th. Um, so that's next week. And what are your plans? Are you going to be here in Cork? Certainly we will be. We'll be landing in the grounds will probably start shaking around the 7th as we all get our way into Cork there. We're going to showcase the highlights and the heritage areas and traditional places in Cork itself. We're going to go down to Cove. We're going to take a uh, trip over to Spike Island. The girls are interested in seeing the Blarney Castle. And we're going to walk the streets and see the landmarks and the um, history that was made back in the day so the girls can see firsthand how the Irish really struggled and made such a wonderful life for themselves. And, you know, if, unless you have walked the footsteps, it doesn't really uh, cement in your mind. So mm. we want to bring our heritage firsthand to these girls. So we'll be walking around the, the streets there. Um, they'll be well known. With, they'll have their crowns and sashes on, right. meeting and greeting people um, between, like like you said, the 7th, 8th, 9th and the 10th. So if people see you out and about with the sashes and the crowns, can they come over and chat to you? <laughs> Absolutely. We would welcome them a million times. <laughs> and I think that the Queens are going to be um, speaking on the opinion line uh, when they are over here. Yes, I'm excited for that as well. And thank you for those opportunities. We have a Zoom meeting um, set up for the 10th of August around 10 o'clock in the morning. So the girls will be given their side and their version of what they've seen while in uh, Cork, Ireland for the three days prior to their Zoom meeting. So um, it's about the girls and it's about the young generation because if we don't capture their attention, we we will lose our heritage on this side of the water. So keeping the young involved and letting them tell their story through our stories from the past is most important. 
Brilliant, Sheila. We look forward to hearing from the Queens then on August 10th. As you said, they will be talking to PJ Coogan that day. And enjoy your, your trip over here when you come over. Thank you so very much and thank you for your time on the air and you have a wonderful day. You too. That is Sheila Cassidy speaking to me from Corktown in Detroit, Michigan. And she, of course, is chairwoman of the Detroit United Irish Societies. And as she said, we will be joining them again um, on the 10th of August to hear how the two queens are getting on in Cork and what they think of everything that they've seen. That's it for today. PJ will be back with you tomorrow. Thank you to everyone who uh, joined in and listened over the last two weeks. It's been great uh, for me anyway. <laughs> and uh, Thanks of course to the team here um, Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton for making the last two weeks um, work out well for us here on the air and um, enjoy the rest of your day. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.